0: The Protect Your Neck Podcast. Top five middleweight fights in MMA with special guest co-host Bill Welker. It was a fun trip down memory lane, folks, so strap in. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night.
1: It's
0: a dark night. Dark night. it's a dark night, What is up, my friends? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom. Analysts' is work you can find over at MMA Junkies, as well as the ActionNetwork.com. But on this year' program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight. Whenever you listen to this, although it will be uh, in a slightly different way, it's going to be a top five show. Of course, going to be bringing in a special guest co-host, Bill Welker, uh, in uh, just a little bit later. You can check the timestamps to jump ahead. Uh, Bill had a hard out today, so we just wanted to focus the time I did have with him on the, obviously, the, the soup du jour, the topic at hand, which is top five middleweight fights in MMA. That's what we're going to be uh breaking down here today but before that just some housekeeping stuff that i'm going to be doing solo uh figured i'll squeeze in uh last week's results so if you're listening to this audio uh or video hello in the future 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 uh this will be a bit of a timestamped episode in a sense i don't usually do that for the top fives but again trying to combine it here with a recap but at the very least you know maybe uh, my, my lazy ass will uh not lazy i don't know why say that about myself i actually work really hard i've been working really freaking hard uh 17 week stretch of course we just finished and uh maybe i'll put this uh part on the uh, recap section of the youtube but yeah audio listeners for sure you'll get this as one big you know one big holiday here uh you can of course as per usual check the timestamps if you're listening on itunes of course five star ratings and reviews are really helpful uh could use another fresh batch of those Gonna go and read those, not so much on this one, but maybe on a future one. May try and read the uh Amazon, uh, and uh, on it, uh, well, on it doesn't provide a uh, a list, but Amazon doesn't tell me what you buy, folks. Don't worry if you want to have a David Carradine one night in you know Bangkok, get the uh, the karate gi, the the, the vibrating nunchucks, whatever you do to get your knocks off. Uh, It won't give me any of your personal information uh, if you click through the Amazon link. That's on MixedMarshalAnalyst.com. I get that wrong later on in this program uh, because I just forget everything and I'm terrible. I don't know my own stuff. But yes, of course, this program, the Protecting Neck Podcast, hosted by my website, MixedMarshalAnalyst.com. You scroll down, maybe even toggle to the right. If you're on the mobile, you will see on it uh, an Amazon click-through. If you shop at either of those two things, all you do is click the link or at the website and you do your normal shopping as you would and at no extra penny a small percentage of your purchase or whatever you purchase will be kicked back to this here podcast which is greatly appreciated of course if you want to give something straight up to the podcast not that I deserve it though it is a free podcast and has been so since you know over half a decade or so I don't know seven years I don't know what we're going on here but it will continue to be free although it doesn't come without a cost of some pennies which are Come out of me. So if you want to help out, that's a you know a, a secure PayPal link. Uh, Dan Tom MMA, I believe, is the address on there. We'll have this uh, this here face on there. Of course, you can find it on my link trees. If you see me at Dan Tom MMA, which I have right here, as my pen points to it for the visual listeners. Maybe throw some little underscores in the di- between the Dan and the Tom and the MMA to find me on Instagram and on all those social profiles and the link trees. You will also. See the link for a direct link to the PayPal. So You can also go about it that way if you care to do so Um, I'll probably uh, roll those up. Just do some housekeeping on those. I do have results pulled up We're gonna go over results for Bellator 299 and uh, UFC Vegas 79 and uh, Then we will turn it over to the uh, top five, which is a really good one man. It's really good uh, trip down memory lane I think you guys are really uh, gonna dig that so real quick as I I pull something up here bada bing bada boom Uh, of course I did not have this part of it uh, pulled up but yeah I'm going to pull up the Amazon um, people who click through just give you guys thank yous Uh, while I do that I want to give some shouts out Uh, listener of the pod trading partner my guy Danny Danny V Richard Uh, really good dude really good trading partner listener of the show saw he tagged the show on Instagram but I'm really bad at checking that account Thank you, Danny. You're the man. Um, D-Love. Of course, my guy Dustin. D-Love's turmeric. Use that underscore trick that I said for my name. Do it for his as well, or you can go right to his website. That is thetumerictonic.com. That's turmeric, T-U-R-M-E-R-I-C. Use code PROTECT15 for 15% off your turmeric order. Word on the street is d love just put a fresh batch in and your boy may have got uh, gotten his order it already so that's the the tonic.com excellent mixture a little bit of lemon and ginger in there which is great doesn't does nothing but help the uh, bioavailability there uh for the inflammation i'm still dealing with uh, some shoulder nerve issues hoping to get back to grappling more than i am and more importantly get back to being more consistent my man gil strength classes i just uh my shoulder's been on one, and uh, going to go get some more uh, uh, therapy done to that uh, today. So the Tumor Tonic will definitely supplement the other positive efforts. So I want to shout out my guy, D. Love, there. Of course, uh, Bill Welker will be on the show. We'll shout him. as at MMA on the rocks as I pull up a uh, report for the month. Ba-da-ba-boom. This is where I'm like, thank you guys. What's up in the chat? And I usually use that to fill time. But I will say, uh, make sure to hit the like button. <clears throat> I know my stumbling ass may not deserve it now, but uh, I got a good episode coming your guys' uh, your guys' way. Um, well, well, that's loading up. Let's let's just jump right to uh, Bellator 299 results, shall we? What up, a boom? Six minutes. Belly. Uh, there wasn't much to recap on this one as far as my plays go. Uh, I, I, on the podcast, I just had the, uh, rounds four and five for Johnny Evelyn. I didn't do the three, four and five like Gamrot would have had, would have helped me more in this one, but I'm like, you know what? In case it's a decision, uh, which it wasn't, um, let's go ahead and throw, a- Evelyn in a parlay because you got a bunch of favorites for a Bellator parlay, uh, which did hit, e- you know, um, it hit at a uh, <clears throat> an adjusted rate. We had a uh, Kieran Clark uh, in there. We had uh what else do we have? Uh Dara Kelly in there. Um, we had my man Mads Burnell. will talk about him in a second in there. Um, Peter Queeley and Johnny Eblin, of course Peter Queeley, uh, injury uh, kind of made that one go down, which 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 sucked. Took a took down the profits, and got me back on my injury soapbox, which we'll talk about. Yes, we finally do have a sample size. Spoiler alert in the in the uh, UFC headliner fight, but leading up to it, it just seemed like more of the same. Essentially, for the last two years, uh, and then some, as far as again um, weird, rough stuff, injury stuff, just just you know rearing its head. And, you know, you know let's we'll swallow it through, whatever, fine, we'll take it. Let's get let's the other legs to cash at least, you know, whatever. Matt Brunell looks awesome against Daniel Vichel, uh, who shots at Daniel Vichel, That guy's been fighting forever, man. Um, you know, everyone talks about his competitive fight with Pitbull, the second one. But that first one, you know, he was, you know, that knockdown punch, practically a knockout punch, right? On anybody else especially uh, lands with any more time in the round and uh, he's got an impressive win and an uh, impressive uh, title I believe uh, to his name right Veitchel so it's a really deceptive resume there but of course uh, you know I'm happy for my guy Mads Brunel there who we uh, I got the Mads Burnell shout on the uh, contender series which was great uh, another good contender series I wanted to go this week and you know bummed I didn't Then I would have actually like attended the two best contender series of the season and since it's uh, start right so that would have uh could have been cool. Um, I didn't I missed uh the next uh fight between the ladies. I missed uh Carvalho, uh Pico, um, and then of course I tuned in for Eblen and Edwards. And um what was this of uh, round round three? Yeah, if I would have played round three I would have cashed that one. Uh but I didn't expect him to get the finishes till maybe four or five, which which looked on pace to do. Um I did say Edwards, you know, more of opportunist. Will have his moments and scares, but you know that scare turned it into a real scare with that cut. That was a really terrible cut, and I was like, oh man, again, this is the injury gods are out for me, right? Come on, again, really. And uh, you know, I don't know if we say lucky because Johnny Evelyn's good, and it's kind of what you're supposed to do, you know, in that situation. Go out there if you're if the fight's in jeopardy of being stopped, but I definitely got bailed out there. At least in my books. I'll definitely come clean of that one, right? Like, holy crap. Okay, there we go. Because I thought, you know, maybe not. But, again, between the cut in hand and my typical luck with these things, I'm like, oh, they're out to get me, right? They've got the the perimeter. We've got you surrounded, the MMA gods, right? Like, okay. So that happens, and we end up positive out of Bellator nonetheless. Cool. Um, Again, thank you guys for following me in the Action Network app. And, uh, although it was... I gotta go check to see if it's, if it's back up. Of course, I gotta finally get a winning week. And, uh, I couldn't get my results shared for whatever reason. It was, was, it was being glitchy on the night. But those of you following me there, follow me on Twitter, would've saw the, uh, parlay. Follow me on here, of course. And I always let you know that, you know. Stay tuned for fight day, folks. Not everything... Not everything is in. Uh, alright. Where do we end up on that? 1024... UFC Vegas 79, UFC Fight Night 229, I believe. UFC Fight Night uh, Fazeev Gamrot. Uh, we went 4-7 uh, and seven overall, which, you know, people love to hang on to, right? Like, you get a winning night, so your haters are going to be like, oh, you win this much in picks, right? And it's just like, I've showed you guys the nights where I've been, like, on these losing nights, I've been, like, hitting, like, crazy percentages on not just overall picks, main card picks. And yeah, this is all correct. But again, no one cares, and I don't say anything different, by the way. I take it on the chin like I always do. And don't make it up to be anything, if anything, more self-deprecating, like I always am. Uh, yet people still take homage with that and still find the need to burn calories to hate rather than improve their own lives. And uh, and, 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 and all they're pointing out is something that I always point out myself. It's just like, you know, when you look at you know, people who have good betting nights, look at their picks, and then now sometimes not even that great. It's just because gambling is gambling, right? And this is a perfect example of that. It was a wild night where most people on the timeline lost their ass off. And even if you didn't, like me, you, you, you probably should have, right? <laughs> and I'm keeping my hand ra- ra- uh, risen here to come clean for those listening audio-wise. Um, and it proves my point that it's just that's how wild and bald how this game is, is you can have terrible picks. Uh, at least from a numbers perspective, I had, you know, terrible picks four and seven. We'll talk about some of those. Again, there's, you know, I may have gotten bailed out at the very end, but there was all the typical hurdles put in place, you know, whether if we're talking about injuries, shifty, uh, arguable scorecards, or um, arguable uh, slash bad uh, referee procedures and protocols that affects the, the results, right? You know, we we definitely had those in play. But yes of course the numbers are what they are and it is and I account for them either way four and seven overall we went two and two in straight plays and those were all underdog plays so that's good uh, one and four in the round flyers which you know all you need is one baby especially the way we play them right round hunting, hot rounds get your hot rounds here we're actually really lucky to get that hot round we'll talk about that um, we went one out of four in the round robins as per usual which means we went 0 and 1 in the long shot parlay equal to uh, 2.451 1-5 uh, one units of profit not big not saying it is never said it was but goddamn am I allowed to be happy I mean and shouldn't I be happy after my losing streak and again Everybody should be grateful if they were able to get out of that fight uh, that that alive because it was a wild wild fight night from a watching perspective from a betting perspective from a results perspective from a protocol slash uh, criteria nerd perspective. It was a wild night. So make no ifs ands or buts about it. Uh, I'm on the winning side of it. I'm going to keep the same energy folks. I'm going to complain about the same shit that I complain about. Otherwise people say that I'm crying. It's just recapping. And... It's just me being passionate, cause I am, and I'm actually basing it off facts, and actually if committed to the sport. May may or may not know what I'm talking about. Fucking, you'll see me, hear me reference a reference rules and history things written by an article later that it's actually an article that I wrote and published over a half decade ago. Like I, I, I might kind of somewhat know what I'm talking about, I guess, if I if I dare say so. So yeah, but I'm gonna keep that same energy as if I lost on some of these things, cause. Uh, Again, I like I tell you guys, it's, it doesn't matter what the winner lose. Like there's just certain things that I, you know, feel a certain way about, and uh, when it keeps coming up, I'll let y'all know. Uh, and yeah, you know, again, everybody should be grateful that they had a winning if if they were to get out of that one alive. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and be like I'm a genius. This is what I did right. Take notes like the normal thing. That's that's not me, folks. So, uh, yeah, we got Mateus Gamrot defeated Fazeev. Uh, of course, this is the one we got bailed out on. This is the first injury uh, where we actually benefit on. Uh, although it does kind of suck, though, because you, you not only just, you know, uh, from the selfish perspective. Again, grateful I got out of it. I'm not trying to, you know, be overly selfish here, just, just being honest. It's like, yeah, you know, I, I wanted a chance for the money rounds, right? I also had uh, Gamrot by sub in a round robin and that would have paid big uh that would have made for a, a you know a, a possibly a you know an even bigger night there's that and for the analysis part where it was like you know people are going to be like you know it was an injury and you know fazee technically uh had you know it's like oh well, well you know you can say what you want but fazee was winning that fight that's a fact bro fazee was winning the fight that's a fact like well you, you know what else is a fact my cash gamrot ticket if we want to fucking play that game and i'm not going to play that game i i i was a respectful winner on the night i'm not going to change that energy now but if for people that want to go that's a fact bro uh 10-9 round one that's a fact like i don't know it's a fact that i got to go to the ticket in cash i got money in my pocket and gamrot has a w on his record that that is also a fact i would argue facts that trump your facts and secondly, what's more annoying on the analysis part, because again, that's not my prerogative. That's just my response for anybody that wants to play that game. Um, the analysis part having nothing to do with the results as far as betting goes. You know, the analysis nerd in me. Uh, that was the call uh, for Z. You know, even whether you were picking uh, Gamrod or not, you knew that his hardest rounds were going to be early, and Fazee's best rounds were going to be early. This should not be a surprise. This This should not be something we are crying about. If you want to cry about the result and us being robbed of a fight, sure, that's fine. That's normal. But what's also normal is that Fazeev was always going to win these early rounds, right? Unless he did something really stupid or an injury happened. Not just round one, but round two was going to be Fazeev's, you know, in the 90 percentile, in my opinion. Now, Cameron still has a way to win these rounds with judges somehow. I mean, you want to talk about an alternate history with this guy, right? Holy crap. Um he's definitely got that, so uh you know it's so weird I'm'm I'm, it's weird not doing these live right now. I'm expecting like the boom, boom boom shot going on right now but uh shouts to all the normal chatters that would be uh, you can make up for it by the way, chatters hit me up in the comments. it'll help with the uh video population and all that stuff and engagement and all that shit um you know, uh, I'm trying to God forbid do it like the normal way somewhat but uh, hey, uh but yeah, anyways it, it happens how it happens. And uh, I, I hope Fazeev's not out, you know, for too long. Probably going to be a 12-month thing. We'll see. Um, I wish him the best. And uh, we'll see what happens with Gamrot. I think he's, uh, it's funny. Again, it's matchup dependent. This is what, what, it has nothing to do, everybody was picking. And that's why I wanted to see it play out because this felt like just classic recency bias. You know, I felt like the spread was right, but you could argue, it shouldn't have been wider than it was. But you could argue it could have been flipped around. You know, it's a tight fight. I'm not making a big statement there. You could argue it could have been flipped around. But there's a lot of recency bias against Gamrot, which I am also with, but it doesn't matter how we scored the last fights. It does not matter how the last fights... This is a brand new fight. Each fight, it's style versus style. And the ironic part about Gamrot is, even though I am still not a fan of his, despite him finally cashing a ticket for me, as fluky as it was, um, I think stylistically, you know, he's got some of the best chances against uh, Makhachev, and I hate to say it, against Oliveira. Now, does that mean I'm going to pick Gamrot against either of those? Probably not. But odds-wise, man, they put post some stupid odds on there. Uh, I, 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 you know, we're looking at dog or pass because Gamrot, stylistically, it's what styles does he match up with. That's 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 how you really should approach every matchup. That's how I approach every matchup, to be honest. But especially guys like Gamrot and the biases that are being thrown around. All right, next fight. This is the, this is this one really could have, could have swung. Bryce Mitchell defeated Danny Gay. Unanimous decision, um, twenty nine, twenty eight across the board. You know, uh, uh, most people have round three for Bryce unanimously, and then it's just mainly arguing what is it rounds one and two, right, uh, for Ege, and it's kind of silly. It's if if you're going to give Ege round one, I believe you have to give him round two, even though Mitchell, his uh, grappling was more effective in round two, in the, in the fact of uh, submission attempts because I know he's got like kind of a garbage attempt and then he's got um not really a garbage attempt he's like even the commentators know like he's a little too high on the the, the tricep um the head and arm it's not really there it, but it, but he holds it and it, it, he deserves a catch again I'm Mr. Submission Catch score the catch I'm keeping that same energy here I did score that for Bryce uh score you know the catch for Bryce but if I'm allowed to score which I wasn't because I obviously had a bet on this fight and stated bias on this fight outside of the betting some things that you know Most people don't do one of. I'm doing both consistently, Uh, which sucks because, you know, there actually is an argument for uh, the guy that I was on, which, you know, uh, and thankfully other people were making it, whether they had money on the fight or not. I saw plenty on both sides, especially people who were you know, aware of the criteria, have done the work, are actually licensed judges even, like the Eric McGrackens of the world and my colleagues of that sort. Um, other colleagues a bit dismissive about Ige's chances which was kind of surprising not and again uh, could have gone either way but uh, y- even other colleagues who are very criteria friendly not mentioning the fact of the the damage was like, hmm. uh, although I will s- shout out the couchside judges uh, they did bring up an excellent point that I was going to bring up myself and again it would sound like it was biased for myself but um, obviously Scott and Dan like that's their, that's their thing uh, shout out their podcast I always do So uh, I feel very confident citing those guys um, because they don't have all the gambling bias and all the bullshit that uh, is a part of my world here. Uh, But even those guys said, you know, even though they scored it for Mitchell, they did say, like, you know, if we're going to score round one for Ige and not give him round two. I mean, even if the submission catch they thought or others or the judges who are actually important, right, not not me or your opinion, thought that the submission catch was not just closer than I gave it credence to and the broadcast booth full of professionals gave it credence to. Let's just say. Um, at the same time, okay, if that is more effective or as effective as you know, uh, someone not me would think, or not the broadcast booth full of former world champions would think, uh, they actually have to bring the doctor in. Not only was the damage bad. Again, when I was given that, that 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 thing where, if you don't see the damage, you can't score it, right? Um, sometimes you don't get a clean view. Maybe their back's to you, you know, you see a left hook and they back away and then there's there's a cut on their right eye which corresponds with the left hook they just threw but you weren't sure if it landed. Well, I guess it landed, right? Especially if there was no cl- close, boom, bumps in the pocket that could have caused it. Uh, there wasn't... Uh, not that there wasn't throughout the fight because they, they ended up, you know, clashing and grappling. But as far as the damage that Ige was scoring in the beginnings of round one and two were really, really clear from clean punches. And it was such clean punches that I feel like Ige came in with the right game plan with the straight punches, classic, like, you know, Nixic, uh counter-wrestling strike selection. But once he landed his patent left hook, I think it was done. I think Ege just kind of started seeing that, you know. And, and, and I think the straight punches and the body punches, I'd have to go back and watch, uh, started lightening up. Right? And I think, and, 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 and I've heard people cite that that happened in the fight, and I think that's why it happened. I think it was because he was having so much success in those early rounds. And again, back to the couch judges' point, if we want to talk about what's more effective, Ige's punches or Mitchell's sub attempt to ending the fight, like they actually had to bring the doctor in, right? Like it, the cut wasn't new, it was accumulating. It wasn't like, oh, we got a fresh cut here. Uh, I got to see where it's coming from, right? Where they do that whole thing, where they're reacting to it. No, this was like actual eye swelling around the eye, redness bruising cutting like literally every check box of details was going on with that fucking eye and they had to bring the doctor in so again for what that's worth not that that's an end-all be-all just like you know a 10-8 to a 10-9 round uh the barometer you know like let's say Aljo, peter yan like oh how close was the ref to stopping the fight was the argument for the 10-8 in round two right Uh, at least that's definitely how I felt live at least Uh, I don't know how I felt on rewatch I'd have to go rewatch it again but you get what I'm saying and and we've talked about that we talked about that specifically in the judging seminar where they're not instructed to use that you know I get that it can be a part of it but they're not instructed to use that because that leads them down to being the rabbit hole of being the ref and that's not no you're judging what you're seeing the damage is taking place between the two fighters do not worry about the ref um so I don't know if that made sense or not, but yeah, again, if we're, you know, people were like, Dan, Mr. Criteria guy, even though I don't consider myself that, but I, I'll I'll take it as respect if it's like, you know, these listeners and stuff are like, sh- uh, shout out to my guy, like uh, Wes from the MMA analysis podcast. I was like, I, I don't know, I'm keeping, I, I hear your frustrations. I feel the same way. Like, I don't feel like it's consistent in, in, in cases like these, you know? I would have loved to have these judges for you know my fucking uh, what was it, Caitlin uh, Vieira and Yana Kunitskaya fight, which is a very another similar dynamic except the damage is at the end of the round, so maybe there's that end of the round bias, right? Where you have much more passes and submission attempts from Caitlin Vieira had had way more had, had more had better control, better passes and better submission attempts on Yana Kunitskaya than Bryce Mitchell had on Ige. Didn't get the fight. Um, so, yeah, you know, so, if, again, you, you incorporate this and in what we're going to get into, it just felt like more of the same luck with uh, with the old Dan Tom. I'm like, come on, can we get this one close decision? And with Dan Gate, even though it was a one-unit money line, I also had him in a round robin where <clears throat> we had a plus 500 cash, right? Um. So you incorporate both those things, it's uh. Yeah, it's it's over. It's you know it's between five hundred dollars and a and a grand, uh, swing, on that fight. So that was oof. Shouts out to Dan though. No excuses. Uh, out you know, uh, owning, acknowledging the corrections, acknowledging his opponent. You know, shout out to Eric. Even though he had a right to think he was up two and zero, he did the right thing by saying you know we got we need this next round. So it's all you can do. Marina Rodriguez defeated Michelle Waterson Gomez. Um, Mom-chan, yeah. Okay, so my voice has gone from doing uh, brace your ears for the Chevello uh, in the next section, folks. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. This one we got lucky to cash round two. We had the round three, and at a certain point, went, let's just get us to round three, which we m- may have if Watterson got the takedown, but she didn't and felt to mount, and at that point took enough damage because round one, let's be honest, was a 10-7. I was really proud of all my friends, whether it was my criteria nerd colleagues, to uh, analysts, to gamblers, all like citing the ten-seven. And and again, you know, uh, the separating language, which is what they're going to change, unfortunately. Although they have a substitute for it, which I'm fine with, I guess. But was um, and I get why they changed it. But when the separator, you know, they say overwhelming damage, and I'm like, people have enough time, hard enough time deciding between a, a nine and an eight. And the nines are already big enough with too wide of a latitude now we're going to use literally the same language just be like oh overwhelming oh yeah the three d's but like overwhelming now nah, we're just gonna add overwhelming that is not a, that is not a good separator anybody language specialist to dummy could tell you that uh what was a good separator is having something like uh when a, a stoppage is warranted now they don't want that because it kind of throws the ref under the bus and I get that the refs already have a hard enough job and again back to a stoppage being warranted well that that's the referees a sole arbiter not the judge judge is not trained it's two different training courses right it's two different jobs judging also is hard enough do we really want them to be taking on the uh, hardest arguably one of the hardest of them all refing? no we don't we want them just worrying about judging what's in front of them so Per Mark Goddard, although this is one of those unofficial ones, they haven't been officially stopped, but they are moving to do so. Uh, it's going to be when the stoppage is imminent. And again, that qualifies here too because it seemed real imminent. Like, it seemed like the bus was fucking late multiple times. Uh, and again, this was, you know, Carrie Hatley. And I was like, in defense, I was like, oh, you know, one of my round props that really burned me, what, what was it? The uh, Jimmy Flick uh, not, and uh, Charles. Uh, not Charles Jourdain, uh, Charles Johnson, right? Uh, I had a Johnson round two, that was the prop, and he, he stops it early. And it wasn't so much the early stoppage, and I had a bet, but it was also, and not that I, this made me feel better, because I felt terrible, and even with my bet, I was like, God, you know, uh, d- poor Michelle. Um, but, to my point, the reason why I was so upset is because this is actually more normal to carry Hatley officiating. Now, Hatley is a is one of the better officials in general because he does also judging. He is in Texas where they allow you to not just both do judging and roughing, but on the same event. Um, and he has actually done that a lot of times and hasn't had issues on either side. For, you know, he, he I want to give him that respect. That being said, I always say, carry Kumite Hatley. You know, he, he lets... Uh, He's got a bit of that Yamasaki in him. I don't know if it's because it's Texas. That's how they do in Texas. They're they're tougher. Everything is tough. I don't know if everything's bigger in Texas. Everything's tougher in Texas, it seems like. And uh, that's something I've said many a time. So for what that's worth, not saying it's right, but I'm saying that there's an observation I've had for a minute in my defense. And in my defense, I haven't had that observation for no reason. Case in point here, I'll take the round two. I'll miss the round robin round three and have Michelle Watterson still alive, hopefully, you know. Uh, Brian Battle defeated A.J. Fletcher. Um, uh, one of the, uh, In the untracked round robin, I was at one house on because I was still getting everything sorted. I did get set up. Uh, shout out to my guy, Martin. I did end up getting set up, and what you guys saw was the final. Uh, but in case I couldn't get set up there, I did the same thing at that other house uh, um, from the other week. But again, they only let you do the money line. So I was like, fuck it. Let's just do all dogs. And uh, Fletcher was one of them. Because I think I ended up like picking him by like a f- submission round two, and sure enough, he gets submitted in round two. Uh, opportunism, baby! But no, uh, opportunism aside, uh, hopefully we do see more Brian battle skill. Good on him. Um, wasn't confident in that one. Wasn't too confident in this one, and then ended up taking the shot on Ramos because uh, I'm like, you know what? The small cage, superior grappler. I saw Ramos a lot in the gi, so I'm like, oh, Ramos has been working a lot on his wrestling and striking in recent years. Maybe this is the fight, and smartly so. Again, small cage, Charles Jourdain, right? This is the fight where he y'all must have forgotten. He reminds of why he was a prospect ever, ever to begin with, from the Dana White days, right? Uh, bef- looking for a fight, the first one or whatever, right? Uh, it was for his submission prowess, and he's in the gi. And I'm like, okay. Well, if anything, maybe you know, maybe he's preparing for that Charles Jourdain uh, guillotine choke, right? And and he's gonna apply his strengths on the terrain where it's appropriate. Fuck it, let's go Ramos here. And uh, sure enough, uh, you know what? Ramos doing Ramos things, man. It looks like he got kind of worked past that uh, where he kind of like falls apart and combusts. And nope, it's he still got that in him, man. He will combust out of nowhere, chased and paid for it. That being said, you still got to give Charles Jordan credit for the win. You still got to not sleep on him. Um, like I seemingly have. Maybe just not bet on his fights because I said Charles Jordan's close to Volkov territory. Well, maybe he is, man. I, I can't hit... I can't hit uh, bets on either side of his fights, so maybe I have to put Charles Jordan in the Volkov no bet territory. Uh, Miles Johns defeated Dan Argetta. Uh, happy for Johns. Happy for any underdog supporters. Uh, I pick Argetta here. I like Argetta as well. Uh, I like him a lot. Actually, seems like a cool dude, even though I don't know him. Just has a weird personality. I appreciate that. Maybe the ADD stuff, but. Um, and sympathies to Argetta better because, like I said, even though I mistweeted it at first, so hopefully he didn't take it wrong. I would, I wasn't doing the dodge bullet thing. Like I was like, I probably would have been on him. Like I, did, like I may have dodged it, but like I, I shouldn't have. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I, was like right there. I was trying to find a way to play him. So I feel like I, I literally I got lucky on that one. I don't really try to rub it in anybody's face or anything like that. Tim Means defeated Andre Filahoe, baby ho. Uh Round three. Props to anybody who took Means round three. Part of me thought about it, but I'm like, no, this fight's gonna be wild. Um, let me just go kick for coverage. Go means money line, and I'll just go means KO. Shouts to uh, Prop Squad. I don't know who was that. Was it was it Tony Tony Satori that hit, hit that shot? I'm not sure. Someone in the Prop Squad hit means by KO. And thank you. I tailed that for the uh, round robin, which was the one leg that did hit. Uh, of course, Gamrot by sub was the other. Uh, Rodriguez round three, not meant to be, and neither was Danny Gay. So <clears throat> started out hitting the first leg, which seemed nice, right? And then the unofficial round robin. We actually started out hitting that leg, too. That was uh, Rendon, despite officially picking Vidal, just because, again, WMA underdog, you know. Just like the week before, right, picking Nelson on that thing, even though I didn't pick Nelson officially. It Again, I'm at a place where it's only going to let me round Robin. Uh, you might as well do dogs, and then if you're going to do dogs, you might as well only go to the live ones at that point, or who you deem to be live. Cody Brundage defeated Jacob Malkoon. I didn't watch this, but sympathies to all Malkoon betters again. Um Everyone's recap of it was like obvious he deserved the point or he deserved it, but people were arguing should have been no contest or this or that. Um, the way they interpreted it, the protocol seemed fine. I didn't watch this live, but I did see a replay. Shout out to my guy Faño tweeted. And usually and it was it had the slow mo in there, and usually the slow mo makes things worse or makes the case the opposite way. But in this case it made it a little more sympathetic. Uh, when I saw it clipped out out of context from the whole fight. Um and it looked like uh you know, it looked like he was gonna turn to D-path in or turn all the way out. And I would say maybe sixty-forty to seventy-five, twenty-five percent of the time, most guys are gonna turn inward, especially in MMA, because it'll limit the legal targets. When you swim in for a single, you only show the back of your head. Um, you're not giving up your back for a choke, right? So in MMA it's more sense and in general you could argue it's more times they're going to turn in in which case the elbow I believe wouldn't have been illegal but I believe he turns out uh, either way it's a last minute turn while the elbow goes down and uh, yeah it looked like Malcolm might have got a, a raw deal which means Malcolm betters probably got a raw deal um, you know I, I did see people who the outliers who were on the Brundage seemed to be you know humble and, and you know they, they knew what they got away with um, so I guess more just sympathies to the Malcolm betters there. Uh, most defeated Jake Collier, um, Collier, I had Collier in that round Robin. Uh, so I guess you could say I had money on him even though it was unofficial, but I will say, um, that round Robin wouldn't have cash and Collier wouldn't, this wouldn't have mattered as far as Collier hitting anyways. So it really didn't matter. But, uh, I, I I do think this was the wrong call here or they should have taken a point again I say it all the time it's it's not intent it's impact I've been saying it for years and years only recently have they been really been seem like it's been catching on and unfortunately hasn't caught on to the right people all the referees of course I believe that was Big Dan in there and Big Dan always has this attitude like I, I feel like Big Dan has and I get it you you should feel anxiety uh, you know you're in there refing, but I feel like B, Big Dan has more anxiety than the fighters themselves you know like, you know, like uh, Kevin Hollander or some fighters, they just want you to smile. They want the fist bump for that sense of security, right? You know, they talk about certain fighters need that. Like, I think Big Dan needs that. That's why he hates trash talk so much. Like, people are like, oh, he's racist. He gets on, you know, only these fighters for trash talk. Like, I'm not going to go, go. I'm like, I don't know about that. I'm not going to pretend to know, you know, Big Dan and much less throw around those kind of accusations. But what I will say is where I think that comes from is that he likes everybody getting along in there because he's so damn anxious and he's like, oh, come on, whoa, 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 whoa. And, you know, he kind of has that, you know, and and I talk about that, you know, referees that kind of have that anxiousness minus maybe uh, Jason Herzog, who I don't think is anxious, but I could see maybe interpreted because he's so fleet of foot. But you see referees with that anxiousness. Mark Smith is another guy who gets a lot of criticism, right? He also has that... He's got, like, some of the best eyes you'll ha- a human being can have because he's a fighter pilot. And I forget that Jimmy Crute stoppage on the Contender Series is one of the best referee stoppages I've ever seen in my life. And it's a Mark Smith stoppage, to his credit. But he also has a lot of that jitteriness, too. So there could be... I'm not saying it is. I'm not pretending to fucking know. But I, there could be a correlation there, right? And Big Dan kind of has a lot of that, too, where he's just like... Uh, it's okay, it's fine. Hey, he didn't mean it, he didn't mean it, he didn't mean it. Like, Dan, you're not being a bouncer right now trying to make good. Like, it, you, you, you know, no one's trying to get at the other guy. Like, I know you're just trying to keep the peace or whatever, but, like, you are the peacekeeper. You're Big Dan. You're the sole arbiter. You're the referee. You need to level the playing field as you see fit. It's not about intent. It's impact. And if they would have taken a point, even though there was still a 37, 27 floated out there for Mo Usman, would have been a majority draw, and you call your bettors uh, who bet him straight up, which was not me, but for you guys, you guys would have gotten a push that you should have gotten, because uh, that clearly affected the fight. Um, even though you could say that Jay Collier could have, would have, probably would have faded out anyways. Again, we don't know that, right? We don't, just like we don't know anybody saying, and, and anybody, and I'm happy to catch the Gamma ticket. I wanted to see if my analysis was right. Yes. But I'm not saying sitting here and saying, oh, Gamrot was going to win anyways. Oh, but no, we don't know what was going to happen. We don't know. That's why I was pushing back on people going, oh, because got round one. Like, who cares? He was going to win anyways. We don't We don't know what's going to happen. We were cheated of that. Don't pretend like we, we You know, we don't. Uh, Mizuki way defeated Hannah Goldie. Didn't watch that one, but good for Mizuki. And then Rendon defeated Vidal. Didn't watch that one, but I was like, oh, sweet. Uh, the biggest dog of that, like, untracked uh, for funsies uh, round robin I took off the counter um cashed and again for people getting mad like i uh oh once you once you post that one or whatever you're to be honest it was I, I calculated it i literally doubled and i usually do way better off the counter anyways like i always do um but uh, uh again those are my just for funsies off, off uh untracked on, on the counter bets like those are getting put in after all my other bets are put in or at the very end like on fight day um, or on Friday, which is still after I've recorded and podcast and given out, uh, my main plays and so on and so forth. Um, and again, for what it's worth, I could have done that after the fact, I would have been more than happy to post that, uh, losing ticket because I would have posted my winning tickets as well. Um, like I do whenever I post a winning ticket, I post the associated losing tickets on the fight. Like I'm not, you know, going to take, you know, two or three shots on a fight, And you know, um, only cash to show you the one that wins. Like, no, I'll I'll show you everything. And even when I have a winning night, I'm not gonna sit here and and brag about it. You know, I'll I'll sit here and tell you about my losing nights for sure on track. because it's untracked. I can't brag about that shit. But for what it's worth, four twenty dog plus four twenty there. So Um, there ain't no tears there. Fucking dumbasses coming at me. Mm, Good call, dummy. Like it was just. I'm sorry. It was a. I felt really good about this card before it happened, and you just had, like, a bunch of haters rolling in, going, like, oh, this ain't it. Oh, thanks for the fades. And I'll make that joke myself. That's fine, you know? And if you're friends with me you want to make that joke, that's fine. Or if you're not friends with me and you just want to be funny, at least be fucking funny. That's what I always say. I'm actually really hard to offend. Just be funny. If you're going to be an asshole, when I've spent the majority of this year just taking shit from assholes, having every bad beat, and no credit for the good analysis, but every bad beat and toe. you're going to come at me before... And the funny thing, they always cry, they go, why are you getting mad at me? Like, uh, because you're an asshole who I don't know, and whether you follow me or not, like, why are you burning the calories just to be an asshole? You're not even being funny. You are talking shit before the results are in. Um, you are being proven wrong on said results, and you're getting called out for it. I don't know what's so hard to understand about that. Mess with the fucking bull. Um, so, yeah. I don't care. It wasn't a big winning night. It was a fucking winning night. So, that was that was really nice. Winning night for Bellator. Winning night for Vegas. Shouts are done. All right. Um, on that beat, let's take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to be breaking down with Billy Welker's top five middleweight fights in MMA. Right here on the Protect Your Neck Podcast. And we're back, right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast for the top five middleweight fights in MMA with special guest co-hosts Bill Welker. Of course, we are going in a bit of a, a, a different order, although it will be uh, not to your listeners, you know, uh, uh, knowing so much, but we should be flowing right now. Of course, we are at the topic that you're reading at the top of your uh, list there. It is the top five middleweight MMA fights. And of course, for these top five shows, I got to get a a guest co-host one to kind of save you guys from, you know, being berated by my voice over and over again. We'll get some different perspectives in here, which is also why we do the listener list, which we'll also get to keep an eye out for those. Make sure you're following uh, the, the show on all social platforms, or at least, you know, some of the main ones at the PYN podcast, of course. Thank you for liking and subscribing here uh, at Dan Tom MMA is where you can find me, where uh, I also will share these things. So you guys can kind of weigh in on your list. But of course, I got my co-host, a man I've done shows with before here, there. Uh, I've seen him uh, off screen, and, and, and you know, in in the flesh. I know he's real. He's a good dude. He's one of my favorite dudes in this space. Uh, you might know him as at MMA on the Rocks because he does technique, drinks his own podcast where he talks about the action. Bill Welker, what's
1: up, Bill? What's going on, Dan? Thanks for asking me to do this. I I I've been really excited about it because I'm not like you. I don't go back and. And watch a whole lot of tape because there's so much mma going on i pretty much stay with the current stuff but when you asked me to do this it had me staying up late going back and watching old fights having nostalgia uh, and i'm i'm really excited to talk about these middleweight fights so it's gonna be a good time absolutely man and again
0: you're obviously even though you don't have much time to go back who does i mean i'm surprised that you know if we both weren't so active in doing what we do on the socials and our kind of extracurriculars our hobbies uh kind of melding these passions which is what i appreciate about you uh you're able to kind of find a way to meld many i'm still trying my best with this one here but it's one that we both kind of agree on and we've talked about off air i didn't want to talk about it off air today because you know I wanted to save it for the pod, but just for the listeners, Bill, uh, who don't know you like I do, can you just give us kind of a quick history of you uh, in relation to your MMA fandom, your experience? Obviously, you're, you're not just a fan or, you know, a guy who makes... You You actually uh, can wrestle, can strike, can teach these things. Uh, where, the, where the hell did this all start for you, for those who aren't familiar with you?
1: um, Let's see. It depends how deep you want to go. Do you want to start with my childhood trauma or... <laughs>
0: That's what it starts for most MMA people, to be honest, if we're being, you know.
1: Yeah, and, you know, you and I have had discussions about this as well. I mean, you don't get into this sort of stuff, uh, training, and otherwise, there's a few rare exceptions. But there are certain things that come up in life that drive you towards this lifestyle. And I think that's why we feel such a connection with other people who are involved in it. But yeah, the long and the short of it is I started martial arts around age seven, um Japanese jujitsu, and then started wrestling around age ten, which was gosh, almost almost thirty years ago. Um, and then it just kind of progressed from there. I got into jujitsu and muay thai, and now I teach jujitsu and I teach muay thai and um yeah, uh, I'm mostly just a fan. I have competed and things like that before, but I, you know, I don't really consider myself a competitor. I'm more on the coaching side now, definitely at my age, and um, just a fan of the sport.
0: Well, Bill's very humble. Uh, you know, he he's been in it for a minute. Uh, you know, he has trained and worked with names you guys are probably familiar and have seen on the screen, but he he's too humble to tell you that. And uh, I hope to get a chance to uh, train with uh, with Billy down in uh, South Florida or Florida. I don't want to give too much of the locations away, but uh, hopefully, uh, maybe you guys, maybe we'll see that uh, uh, us two reunited. Except on his side of things, of course, I've seen Bill when he's down here in Vegas. So hopefully, we can make that happen, Bill.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's an open door policy for you, my man. And I'm I'm just outside of Tampa, Florida. Um, so yeah, we're a hotbed for MMA here. I teach uh, Muay Thai at MJM, Muay Thai, City of Tong in Clearwater. So, you know, anybody who's listening that's in the area or visiting, definitely welcome to come in and train and, um, you know, tell them they heard me on the podcast or whatever. And and we welcome in everybody to come in and train.
0: Absolutely fantastic. And without, you know, uh, continuing down this road where we would give too much away, like our ages and whatnot, you know, safe to say. You know, uh, me and Bill Welker, and it'll be, to be honest, the good thing about these top fives, especially these, uh, if it's a topic that stretches as far as MMA time continuum goes, you'll yeah. kind of out yourself, right? As kind of like what kind of a fan you are, who you're a fan of, what kind of fights you're a fan of, what time period you were, you know, most nostalgic to you. I think a lot of these things come out in these lists. Uh, without giving too much away, we're going to get into it shortly, uh, soon here. Uh, two four obviously but Bill did you experience some of that putting together your list or you like were you like wow my biases of fandom are pretty pretty clear here or or, how did it go for you without giving too much away
1: yeah absolutely and it almost got to the point where it was a little overwhelming to pick top five fights so I kind of molded the list into more of my favorite middleweight fights because good. good you know I you and I went back and forth, and I kept asking questions. And I'm like, is it middleweight or is it 185? Because middleweight and Pride was 205, and then but and so I wanted to pick some Pride fights, but technically their welterweight was 183. So it was like, I, I'm like such a literal guy. I didn't <laughs> I didn't want to uh, go outside of that. And then. Like as far as the best fights, the best fights for MMA should have a little bit of everything—good grappling exchanges, back and forth—shouldn't be too one-sided. But then I kept coming back to, with my list anyway. I don't know if you had this experience. I kept coming back to the most memorable finishes. Yeah. You know, not necessarily fights that went to distance and were good, like back and forth scraps. Um, you know, the finishes are, are what we all remember. You know, the the punches and the kicks and the storytelling of the fight is great in the moment, but uh, at the end of the day The finish is what really burns the memory. I think
0: Absolutely, yeah, and I'm glad you you did that I didn't specify too much because I, I want it to be open to interpretation like if we did you and, and there is no right way, but if I would say there's a right way um, I'd say you went about it the right way by leaning toward your favorites without even knowing your list bill We don't know each other's list by the way folks you guys know that it's a, a live reaction but the thing is, if we do top five, it's so subjective and there's already so much arguing. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like arguing the best is what everybody does on a, on a daily, no matter what the topic is on the Internet. And that's not really fun to me, right? Everybody's sure. like, and because it's it's arguing pretty much about the same names. And at a certain point, are, are you even really behind that? Are you just saying it because it's, you know, and I had to question that with my list. Like, is this on here because... And I have some of those where you could say it, but it's also just great fights, and we'll get to those. But it's like, is this on here just because it's like I'll get crucified if it's not because this is like known as one of the you know widely referred to, you know? And you're you're, you're having that question because you want it to be genuinely yours, and you're like, or am I putting this on this list because I genuinely liked it? It genuinely struck me, and I like these a lot. I encourage listeners, you can tie it. I told Bill like even if it's like, you know. Uh, I do gambling stuff, but this is obviously not a gambling specific topic. This is a general topic, but yes, if you have like a live story, maybe it involves a ticket or not gambling, but it just involves a funny live story, you know, like shout out to my guy, Jordan Killian, who was the, was the only person, uh, somehow to pick Ryan Bader over Tito Ortiz, uh, over like, it was like, in a, he was in a bar, you know, of a Buffalo Wild Wings full of like, you know, a bunch of like bros and casuals who were like, they, they still thought Tito was was the man, even though he was on this five fight losing streak. My guy Jordan's like, these idiots have no idea what's coming, and he was like, <laughs> thought he was the smartest guy because he he was he was going against them all, saying picking Vader. Of course, you get the big upset that creates a crazy memory, right? It's already a crazy memory of a fight in its own, but sometimes you folks you you might have your own personal story that gives it steroids, and that's totally okay to use that as a qualifier here. Um, So, to introduce the topic, because uh, Bill touched on it with pride, of course, this is middleweight fights. Of course, we're going mainly by the uh, traditional um, ABC ABC ruling, if you will, uh, which was based, of course, the New Jersey Athletics uh, Control Board. Uh, A lot of these rules, even though they are being updated, even though they need to and will be updated, right? Um, Whether we're talking about the rules of the weight classes of MMA... They are pretty much all established by the new What we're working on as of this recording, right? Kind of semi evergreen. We're, we're not the timestamp too much, but we're in 2023. Um, about 22 years ago, in 2001, the New Jersey Athletic State Control Board kind of took charge of regulation, which UFC ran toward, which they love to pat themselves on the back, but really it was because right before that. Uh, the years before that, during the McCain, uh, uh, you know, c- kind of the, the, that McCain era, uh, if you will, uh, leading that charge was the UFC was actually a, a lost contracts and was a, a lost uh, promotional deals, able to broadcast in, I believe, 36 states. So that kind of definitely encouraged them to run toward regulation. Um, so I believe this is about UFC, uh, and I'm going to read off something, but the good thing is I've been doing this so long. I'm actually cribbing off my own words from an article I put out about a half a decade ago. I consider myself a newbie, but in my defense, I kind of know what I'm talking about. And in my defense, there's too much to memorize. So even I have to go back and look at my notes, but yes, um, yeah, basically, uh, basically yes. So, uh, These political pressures forced the UFC to cooperate with state athletic commissions, which eventually gave way to the first weight class separation being rolled out at UFC 12, classifying all fighters 200 pounds and heavier as heavyweights, while competitors 199 pounds lighter were considered lightweight. So folks, if you want to follow at home, just go to Tito Ortiz Tapology, click the details, and scroll all the way down, because... You will see his first fight, not his second fight with Guy Metzger that headlined one of the UFC 30s. But if you go down to, he was actually in a tournament, I believe, back at UFC. You know, so let's go look at this, right? Let's go look at uh, UFC 13, a Battle of Bourne or something, some weird name it was called. But you will see Tito Ortiz classified as a lightweight, which is hilarious, right? Because that's what the division was considered. Now, continuing reading from an article that I published for the history of this, is actually the history of lightweight division, I'm reading off MMAJunkie.com Junkie.com that I myself wrote. By UFC 14, the promotion renamed their lighter division middleweight. Although the lightweight moniker made its return at UFC 16, it now represented all competitors who weighed 170 pounds and lighter. So again, if you just go look at Tito Ortiz, a couple UFC fights later, um, you will see him now classified as a middleweight. But the weight that he's competing in is always the same. It's 199 pounds, which does get moved to 205 pounds. So right now they're actually matched up with what Pride is doing, right? If we're looking, at, we're, in a, we're in a history machine, machine, and uh, and uh, getting a little bit of getting feedback from, your, in, back from, your, from in, your end, your in your Bill, and my end. and, ears. My, and my I, don't ears. I don't know if it's going on the, I don't recording. Know going on the recording. Um, yeah, there's a there's a little bit of lag. Oh, and it's a okay. Bit of it's okay. Well, it'll smooth out. Uh, I'll, I, I don't hear it anymore. We're good. But yeah, so basically, uh, you know, is listed as, as you know as 199 pounds. Pride is following suit at this time, right? And then, of course, uh, yes. Sorry, not 2001. It's it, it's 2000. The new athlete, uh the, the New Jersey Athletic State Board takes charge of regulation. But in 2001, it's not officially seen into the UFC, which the first fight is at UFC 31. Uh, that's where we first start seeing the uh, rules and weight classes as we know today. So if you guys kind of were following my jumbledness, a little uh, pinpoint marks to make yourself sound smart, uh, UFC 31 is the first time we see weight classes and rules and regulations rolled out, right? So now we have 205 pounds for light heavyweight and everything, so on and so forth. So it's a little tricky. I mean, if you want to get cheeky and you want to, you know, I, I don't think any... Uh, any of those earlier fights that were classified as lightweight, like Guy Metzger-Ortiz, is really going to be on our list here for me or Bill. But if you wanted to get cheeky and consider those middleweights, you could. Uh, of course, from this point on, uh, outside of Pride and later won championships, um, pretty much middleweight is universally 170 to 185. Again, Pride did their middleweight, and they considered it essentially 205ers, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So it was, it, was, it was different there. Uh, one Championship, whether it's because of the Asian thing or just because of their their, uh, their non-weight cut practices, they end up following in the same category um, as far as classifications there for how they do their um, middleweight. So uh, One Championship's middleweight. They call their middleweights essentially what we know as light heavyweights. And, of course, the other uh, outlier, as it is, is another Japanese promotion. They go the opposite way. And, of course, that is... Uh, uh, I believe uh, Shuto here, um, who I usually always make a a thing. theirs is uh, their middleweight is actually 155 to 170 pounds. So what we know as welterweights, uh, Shuto has traditionally considered middleweight. Now again, I don't think that's going to affect either me or Bill's list. I dare say, but just to give you guys a quick that's bi- that's the basic history there of middleweight division and the weight classes in MMA. What we're working with for our selections. There we go. The The More You Know graphic just flashed across the screen. There we go. Pretty cool stuff, right? Uh, anything to add to that, Bill, before we get into our selections here?
1: No, but I wouldn't mind if they brought back that old rule where under 199 was lightweight, because then I could be a lightweight again.
0: I know, right? I'm actually sitting at lightweight right now. I'd be, I'd be feeling good at sitting in the low 190s, but right now I'm struggling just to walk around in the middleweight limit is probably where I should be walking around in. Um, but I don't know, we'll see about that Bill we'll see about that, I'm, I'm doing my best over here, um, but yeah no, it's it, it, it's cool, you know it, it, this, you know it's it, it's a weight class that kind of gets you know, shit on by analysts like myself uh, you know, because we, we love the lighter weight classes It's the sport has grown so much, but there is so much history in these bigger weight classes, and uh, we're going to touch on some of that here, so again, this is our top 5, it's not the top five we're not claiming to have the best top five we're not claiming it should be your top five you have your top five and if you submitted your list at the PyM podcast we will read it on the show but first we're going to go like a tennis match from five to one there probably will be crossover especially considering me and Bill's similarities our fandoms our age so on and so forth so don't be surprised but it's okay it's expected we'll work our way down to number one we'll clean up with honorable mentions and listener lists at the end are we good to go bill
1: yes sir let's do it
0: all right so for your number five my number five tends to be kind of a hipster spot i guess you could say it was in this case number five is always a really interesting spot for me what ended up being your number five
1: so like i said i I went i did a lot of back and forth with this and like what to include uh, greatest middleweight fights i decided to make it my list and Obviously I have more personal experiences with some fights than other people. And then there are times like maybe a great fight happens and you're not in the best place in your life. So it doesn't it just doesn't hit or it doesn't register. It doesn't hit that emotional chord. So I'm gonna give you one that I can almost guarantee is not on your list because this is one that's very personal to me. Nice. So about eight years ago to the day I had the opportunity to go to Japan and my two brother-in-laws live in Japan, they live in Nagoya. And scheduled the trip um, just around my, my wife and I's birthday just to go visit her family. It so happened that the first weekend we were there, there was a UFC fight night at the Saitama Super Arena, which is where they held countless Pride events. Um, so I was like, obviously we're going. It was headlined by Josh Barnett and Roy Nelson. So this was UFC Fight Night 75. Wow. Uh, A surreal experience. It was amazing just being in that building and being able to experience UFC fights with the Japanese crowd was just a once in a lifetime experience and the stars just aligned for me to be in that building that night. It was a totally different fight experience than going to fights here in the States, which I've done many times, you know, from amateur all the way up to the UFC. they, they, they schedule it to air prime time in the States. So the, the prelim started at maybe like 8 a.m. <laughs> in Japan. So we're in there in the dark and, and throwing some beers back, enjoying the fights, whatever the case. And then we get outside and it's 2 p.m. We had just, we're like jet lagged. We don't know. We're so discombobulated. But uh, it was an amazing experience. There was a middleweight fight on that card. It was between Gegard Mousasi and Uriah Hall. It was the first time they fought. Now, to set the stage a little bit, Gegard kind of had a home field advantage here because he had come from pride. That's where he kind of made his name, as you well know. I mean, I don't have to condescend to you, Dan, and I'm sure not to your listeners either, but I just want to make sure I'm giving the full background here. So Gegard was a pride guy. He was huge in Japan. And Uriah was kind of even though he was big, coming off the Ultimate Fighter, and he was very flashy and everything, he was kind of expected to lose this fight. The first round uh, was a back-and-forth grappling exchange in which Uriah Hall actually you know, locked up a few submissions and was able to sweep Gegard. He went for a leg lock at some point. The grappling exchanges were super technical, and of course everyone would expect Gegard Musasi to be the superior grappler. But Uriah Hall's no slouch on the ground, man. He, I mean, he's held his own against some really high-level grapplers in there without getting submitted. In any case, it still kind of looked like the fight was going to go Gegard's way. It looked like rounds two and three were going to be more of the same where Gegard would strike his way into a takedown, hold your Uriah Hall down. Uh, second round starts, and not too long into it, Uriah Hall hits a spinning, flying back kick, into the face of Gegard Musashi, follows it up with a flying knee, and then gets him up against the cage and finishes him. And just being there and hearing the Japanese crowd and the way they appreciate fights is so different um, than the way we do here. Uh, The crowd is dead silent. Unless something happens, like at one point, Gegard passed to side control, and you hear like golf claps going off throughout the arena, like they know he improved his position there. Um, but even that crowd, as docile as they were and as polite and respectful, that place went crazy when Uriah Hall uh, knocked out Gegard because it was such a spectacular knockout. Um, so this one had to make my list because I had such a personal experience with it. Um and all the circumstances leading up to it, Uriah was not supposed to win that fight. Um he was not winning that fight and then just just pulled one out of a hat in, in typical Uriah Hall fashion.
0: Man, that's a great that's a great shout. Uh I gotta I gotta say rat shit in Calcutta for the MMA analysis podcast. Um, I'll I'll explain that. that's a that's a that's a great shout. Uh, that was these one of the first fights that I broke down on my website that got me started on doing this, mixmarshallanalyst.com. In fact, if you go to that that hosts this year program where you can find the aforementioned on and Amazon click-throughs and the PayPal donation link if you feel so inclined that I mentioned in the previous portion of the show, folks. Um, you go to the breakdown section, and not only was that some of the early breakdowns, so I don't encourage you to do too much reading. Uh, definitely not good, you know. Definitely not good. You think my writing is bad now? But um, the cool thing about that, and like UFC Fight Night 77 as well, had it. As um, I, ha- I have drop-down menus, I believe, on every fight, where I, not only I would do the in-depth. Now it's just like I do the in-depth for the main card bill, and I do something like quick picks for the main card. And before that, I used to just do the main card in-depth. This is back in the day where I gave the in-depth treatment to every fight on the card. Um, And you kind of could, even though it was the Fox era where they were amid their uptick of scheduling. It wasn't as bananas as it is now. Not the timestamp, but the reason why we're doing this Top 5 show with Bill here is because I finally got a break after a 17-week stretch of fights, folks. Week after week. That includes Road to UFC. That doesn't even include Road to UFC, the Ultimate Fighter, Dana White contender series, um, you know, or anything else of PFL or Bellator, anything else that ha- has all happened in said time, international fight week, um, ABC refing and judging conference that your boy went and passed all courses. All that happened in this last seventeen weeks, and that's not even including stuff outside of the sport, which we're not talking about. But it's been it's been a crazy run, right? Um, and you go back to the, this time period, we're still in that uptick, but man, we're we, we still have big names, you know, it's it's under the UFC banner, but we're getting like, you know, pride era guys like Barnett, we're still, they're still actually, you know, they're still in m- amongst their international I- expansion era, the UFC is, right, where they're trying to get to different places and visit intern historical places like Saitama, that's crazy you got to go to that, I'm so jealous, uh, Bill, I mean, even, you know, even just being able to go, you know, after the fact because of the, of the history, that's just, that's just super cool. Um and yeah, I remember this card very well. Uh, for the rat shit in Calcutta thing, people are like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, this is another this is another podcast lore. But again, back to, certain, uh, there are certain funny stories, and I always shout my friends on the MMA Analysis podcast, and you'll hear them say rat shit in Calcutta whenever somebody is so, so sure about a pick or a bet. And that tracks all the way back to this fight, Bill, that Bill mentioned, because I believe, I think it was Sean Carey, who's uh, no longer on that program, uh, he said, if, if Gagard Mousasi loses to Uriah Hall, I don't care how much Uriah Hall knockout power has. If Gagard Mousasi loses to Uriah Hall, he said, I'll eat rat shit in Calcutta. <laughs> and sure enough, that happened. And even though not, not only did they not let him live it down bill, uh, that gentleman is no longer on the podcast, but that is still a reference that holds strong to this day because of that fight. And even though that's did not Did he my do it? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. maybe you know there there are stories depending on who you ask but but the, the the point is that fight has has an effect uh and it triggers a lot of memories for a lot of people, so that's a great, great shout that uh yeah, you're right, it's not on my list. I wouldn't have thought of it, but it's a great pick,
1: yeah, that's one of, it it's definitely resonated with me ever since, and of course they rematched and it went a little different um but man it was was a special fight for me especially like the when you see fights in the states like the crowd erupts and the crowd boos and it's it's non-stop noise pretty much but in japan where everything's so quiet and respectful until something happens it like really hits you in the feels you know
0: yeah absolutely um this is one my number five is uh I guess kind of similar where it, it's really... its I don't know how great the fight is up until the finish, right? But it's a finish that you don't expect. Maybe not as cool for style points, although it, it earns a lot of style points. We'll talk about it. And perhaps a comeback. Like, my middleweight fight list almost started turning into, like... This could be, like, easily, like, a top five comeback list, you know? Which yeah. I, had to, I had to be careful of. And uh, maybe he made some adjustments. This one, though, did not it almost didn't make the cut but it it did and that is kung lee versus scott smith one strike force mm. evolution 2009 mm-hmm. was a great year uh, for mma we had ufc 100 that year and about you know uh 5 months later and 5 months and 5 days later we get you know or something of that sort we get strike force evolution and uh kung lee makes his return he's undefeated at this time uh he was doing movies. He stepped away and relinquished his belt, so but but he was still undefeated. He was a traditional martial arts guy, San Shao. Um, and he, you know, combined it with some MMA stuff, you know, uh was a San Jose guy, of course, Strike Force. Scott Coker was a San Jose promotion.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So and people unaware that even though it wasn't necessarily deserved, um Kung Lee was a guy in talks of like maybe this guy could beat Anderson Silva. This is the mythical guy outside the UFC. You would see like Thumbnails of Anderson versus Kung on forums like it wasn't uncommon you know it may it sounds extra silly today and even then even as a fan a global fan then I was a bit skeptical but this mm-hmm. is what this is what it was right this is the kind of aura Kung Lee had at the time and he was a big favorite coming in uh, again it was set up for him to win you know, even the promotion, they're like, oh, he's re- set up to return to his home to San Jose, you know, a typical San Jose homecoming, you know, and just like Clay Guida did to Josh Thompson earlier in the, in the Strike Force career where they tried to do this and it backfired for, uh, even though this one wasn't for a title and that one was, this one actually technically wasn't for a title because again, he relinquished his title. This was the gimme fight to get him back into that title fight, Right. And round one starts, and it and it looks like that, you know, like he's dropping them with some of my favorite spin kicks as a southpaw, where you start off with the body threats, you know, the body kicks, and then when they start backing up from the body, you can either go to the head, which he does, and then when they start just getting out of dives, they don't want body or head game, right? Then you can kind of a- attach a missed head or left power body kick to a stepping spin right kick, and if you are a right-handed southpaw or a right-footed southpaw, that's quietly your stronger kick. And you get to kick with your right side whilst still striking the liver side, which is great, right? Spinning south, uh, spinning side against a orthodox fighter, right? Uh, you're going to be hit, uh, with with the right. You're going to be hitting the liver side, right? And uh, it sure enough hits that liver side. Scott Smith gets hits to the head. He's pretty much a punching bag for all the kicks in the book, books for about two and a half rounds. Now he does have instances of pressure. His corner had all the right things, but it's ultimately up to the fighter, right? There. Uh, they're 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 telling you how to beat this type of fighter. It's pressure, it's mm-hmm. relentless pace and durability. And, and Scott Smith does show that, but he has a a really hard time showing that. Um, up until about round two, uh, round two, or round three, in the middle of round three, he finally starts listening to his corner, uh, who's calling for a really smart combination. Now, usually the typical, even until today, which is impressive because this is like uh, over a decade ago, right? Even today, you hear you don't hear people corners yelling uh, they're a fighter to throw a left hook against a southpaw they're like or to jab they're like no right hands power kick get to the lead hand side and that's it it's the same th- it's the same thing outside foot awareness throw your power side and those things aren't wrong they do mm-hmm. conjunct with one another but you can strike with your foot in the lead without it being in the outside position. You can't effectively strike. Not only can you effectively strike, but you can effectively strike with your lead hand doing so, whether it be by jabs to the head, jabs to the body, which set up hooks to the head regardless of the stance. But if you do want to take the outside stance and if you do want to forget that your jab exists, which you can forgive, especially to MMA fighters a decade ago, one thing you could do is you could feint the right hand, throw it away, and set up that left hook. Because fading the right hand will not only draw out the defense, it'll give you an excuse to step your foot into that preferred position that your trainers were likely training you to get to, that outside foot position. And now you've got a real devastating left hook, right? Or a la mm-hmm. Luke Rockhold Bisping, where they do it for you, and Rockhold jabs, but he jabs a little too far on the inside, and then it gave Bisping that perfect left-hooking lane, which he took the title in their rematch, right? Mm-hmm. Um not to spoil that fight in case that's on anybody's lists, but that's the same left hook principle, and Scott Smith hits it beautifully. We get the left hook finish. Um, it's just one of the most beautiful comebacks. I know as a fight as a whole, you can argue maybe this doesn't deserve to be on there, but if we're talking about our, my, your top fives, um, this is one that I just, I vividly remember. It's in the peak of my MMA fandom. Um, it's just one of those beautiful strike force moments, and it makes my list at number five.
1: Um... And yeah, I definitely remember the aura of Kung Lee that you're talking about. Um, And because Anderson Silva was so good that you almost had to come up with these mythical people out there that could beat him because he seemed like pretty much untouchable. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a great segue here because my number four. Nice. Let's go. Happens to involve one of the same people. Not technically speak. One of the greatest, um, you know, the place in my life that I was at and where I watched it, and the ending really makes it. This is, in my opinion, one of the top endings to an MMA fight uh, ever in any weight class. Also involves Scott Smith and Pete Dragosel It was at the Ultimate Four, uh, Ultimate Fighter Four finale. Uh, These two had become buddies on the show. And throughout this fight, they're punching the shit out of each other. And then they would stop and exchange and like high five in the middle of it, which, you know, is kind of taboo now to even like high five or like the hug at the beginning of the round. But this was something different. This was something I feel like we haven't seen before or since. These were two buddies in there that were just having a blast fighting and they wanted to high five each other and it worked and of course this would all build up to the crescendo of the finish which was Pete Sell landing a nasty hook to the ribs of Scott Smith and Scott Smith is falling backwards Pete Sell rushes in to finish and then right at the last second Scott Smith catches him coming in with a hook And just puts him out. And then it probably could have been a double TKO if the ref had, like, been back a little bit further because Scott Smith couldn't continue. Uh, But it ends up being a knockout win for Scott Smith. Um, You know, both of these guys were coming off the Ultimate Fighter. They, They had become friends on there, and they went into the fight as friends. They fought as friends, and they were friendly after the fact. Um, and the finish was one of the most bizarre things. I remember I was in college uh, when this happened. And, you know, we would all get together. My, my buddy, Andrew, who really got me into MMA a little bit. I used to watch casually, but then really got me into it in college. He used to organize once a week. We would go up to, like, the, the penthouse of the dorm and watch The Ultimate Fighter every week. Um, and this was the comeback season, which was one of my favorite seasons. Probably my yeah. favorite uh, next to season one, of course, which is like the the pinnacle of the show. Yeah. Um, so we watched the comeback series, which which featured guys like that. Of course, that would be the season that Matt Serra would win at Welterweight and challenge George St. Pierre for, you know, arguably the biggest upset in in MMA history, according to a lot of people. But um, yeah, I just have so many fond memories of watching. the the ultimate fighter. And it was such a different thing because before that show, you were just watching these savages in there. You don't know where they came from or their background. They would do little interviews and, and things like that, but you didn't get this in depth and see like what their day to day interaction was like. And here you saw, it was so different at the time. These two guys were like, they were like college buddies. Like we all were at the time, like my, my buddies and I, you know, and I wrestled club in college and we had that same kind of camaraderie and ball breaking And we would love throwing each other around. Um, So it it was interesting to see that kind of reflected in guys that were in the UFC. They were at the highest level. And then we all got together to watch the finale. And we had the same reaction as everybody. Like, what the fuck did we just see? We used to saw a guy, like, get finished with a body shot. And then he comes back. It's like that... That video of the old man is like, call an ambulance, call an ambulance, but not for me. And he pulls the gun out. <laughs> <Yep>. Yeah. <laughs> that's what, yeah. That's what Scott Smith did to Pete Sell. And that, that fight will always have that. No matter how many times I watch it, it will always get an emotional reaction out of me. So that's my number four.
0: Dude, that's a great. Uh, I'm glad that's a great segue and a great shout. Um, Yeah. With Scott Smith is tough, right? Because that's the other fight that's that you got to pick from with him, right? As far as his winning fights. Kung Lee won and Pete Sell. Those are like his most memorable wins. And Scott Smith, for those who aren't familiar, if you want to see jo- Joaquin Phoenix and like Ben Foulkes have a kid who does MMA, <laughs> like that's Scott Smith. Uh, Shout out out to uh, to, 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 uh, my guy, Ben Folkster. But he always looked like Joaquin Phoenix, I thought. Kind of like, you know, less of a doppelganger. uh, So I always had to use the caveat, hit by a semi-truck first. But, like, Forrest Griffin looked like Josh Hartnett, took a bunch of steroids, got hit by a semi-truck, and then did (laughs) MMA. Um, You know, I had to use that qualifier for Forrest there. He's a little... But, uh, no. Um, but yeah, like, uh, I love, I love it, man. And, and even like Scott Smith's, like, losses, like his fights, Robbie Lawler, or like, uh, Uh, Paul Daly like this guy like no matter what was always in memorable ones and that Pete Sell one was great because they were but there was that dynamic and I love Mm -hmm. that you said it probably could have been called a double stoppage because if you go back and watch folks like it's hilarious like there was maybe even what just one punch if that left in Scott Smith and he gets the knockout because he's doubled over in pain just to show you the effectiveness Mm -hmm. of body shots that he won the fight but he, he had the more lasting pain because again folks body shots it's, I'm not saying it to be an annoying a nerd or contrarian here. Like people who fight know those things are brutal, and that's what made it all the more impressive that Scott Smith even was able to get a punch off. Mm-hmm. For sure. So that's a great. That was a great number four. Um, I'm gonna go to my number four. I don't think there's really a uh, a segue there. Um, it is not as older UFC though probably older UFC to a lot of people which is making me feel old bill but this is one of the one of the best cards uh, ever uh, we were excited for at least and ended up paying off as a great card UFC 116. Uh, I believe that was headlined by Carwin and Lesnar, right? I-, I think that was the one Rogan was like getting everybody pumped up. He was calling it like White Gorilla Festival or something. That was like his unofficial name. I think you had like Matt Brown versus like Chris Lytle. Like you had some crazy fights on there, if- correct me. I don't even have it in front of me, I'm just going off memory. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. And I think I know what fight you're gonna choose. Absolutely. And it's funny, kinda apropos not to timestamp too much. But this this fighter actually recently just took his first UFC judging assignment, which is hilarious. And that is Chris Lieben, who was coming off of a win to off of Aaron Atrey and Simpson, which was not going to be a, a fight you would associate Chris Lieben as winning. Aaron Simpson might not be a big name to you guys, but he was probably about as high stock as his name was going to get uh, at this point of his time when he fought Chris Lieben. He was a wrestler, mm-hmm. um, one of the more popular vegan fighters. I don't know if he stayed vegan. I'm not a vegan guy. I'm not like fist bumping in the air. But, you know, for you vegans out there, you can fist bump that. that there you go. Um, and uh, it was, he was he was favored to win that fight, I believe. Whereas Chris Lieben, you know, we thought we saw maybe the best of him from Tough. He was the brawler guy. It wasn't so much the cardio, but just he would get hurt. And, you know, he was either going to knock you out, you're going to knock him out. But he went through, but I think this is one of like, this is the best part of Chris Lieben's career, though. And we didn't quite know it. He moved to Hawaii, which was like, you know, he wasn't training with BJ Penn. He was in Oahu on a different island. Um, he kind of had his own camp. You're like, what's going on there? But he actually, despite, you know, still having his battles with substances as he did, right? Uh, like, he was in the best shape of his career around this point. And he do- he sets one of the records for, like, uh, I believe someone else might have broken it or challenged to break it. Uh, Chas Skelly may have tied this record, which is why I'm a big fan of Chas Skelly but this is the first guy to get the UFC turnaround record right because especially back then when they're not having a show two weeks apart was actually a rarity back then folks like now yeah. it's like now it's a rarity to have uh, a week apart like we're currently living now in 2023 back then it was a rarity so to not just have shows within two weeks of each other but to get the same fighter booked was just was just freaking unheard of it never happened until until this And Chris Lieben, because he uh, was able to... I'm not even sure if the fight went to decision or what with with Aaron Simpson. But he's he's already in good enough condition. He's already in shape. He ends up taking a fight two weeks later to face Yoshihiro Akiyama, who is already stateside training, right? He's actually training in my gym, Extreme Couture. Now, this is kind of a funny little foreshadowing for people who know the end of this fight and how it ends and the method. But I'm training with Neil Melanson, who specializes in triangles at the time and guard fighting couture Mm -hmm. brought him in for the big nog camp right and he ended up staying there but when you're a good guard guy it means you're good at defenses and sure enough one of neil's specialties even though he's great everywhere and can teach you everywhere is fighting inside the guard is how to if you're good at triangles means you're probably good at reverse engineering them right and neil just from ground fighting ground and pound submission defense that's his specialty. And I remember seeing Akiyama in the gym, and I was like, oh, shit, Akiyama's training. Hey, Neil, did you, did you work with Akiyama? Is he one of the pros you're working with? You know, Neil worked with Vitor before Anderson and all these things. Mm. And he goes, and Neil goes, and I'm a big Akiyama fan, so I'm not trying to shit on Akiyama, but it's just funny. They call him Sexy Yama, right? And yeah. I don't even know Neil knew about the nickname, or he definitely <laughs> wouldn't say the nickname, but uh, he uh, kind of had a smirk on his face. Like, he goes, yeah, we tried working together, but... and." Neil's a pretty rough guy to work with, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, he's not meant for everybody. That's kinda why, you know, Vitor probably did, didn't, didn't keep working with him. Vitor's guy needs to be confident. He he you really gotta kinda pamper him in training. Neal Neil's both, you know, verbally and physically, he'll he'll, he'll show you what's what. Sure. And um, Akiyama didn't want to work with him and, and I'm like, Why why is that? Neil and, and Neil goes, Akiyama was more in a cosmetic training, let's just say. Mm. Um and, and that's a lot of fighters, right? They're they're into the muscles and this and that. And if you look at this time, Akiyama was a blown up welterweight, you know. He ended up finishing his career welterweight, but like a lot of Japanese fighters, they didn't really cut weight. And as we covered in the intro of this, you know, the weight classes facilitated that, right? With the way they kind kind of called it. So Akiyama was definitely working more on his beach muscles at the time. Really wasn't working on his submission defense, working inside the guard or triangle defense, which probably could have helped him in this fight. Now, you go and watch the fight. It's a really good back and forth fight. Akiyama, you know, he's getting this credit whether it's the promotion putting it on him or him trying to get in favor with the promotion but he's doing Mm -hmm. a lot less grappling and more striking and he's like swanging and banging he's coming off of a memorable fight that easily could have been on this list UFC 100 Alan Belcher fight of the night probably gifted a split decision that probably should have went to Belcher let's be honest even at that time especially under today's scoring criteria time it definitely should have gone to Belcher and Akiyama's still doing like cool judo throws and stuff. It's not that he's not trying to take this fight to the ground But Lieben is showing underrated jujitsu and scrambling all the way through like I forgot how how good it was like He's going for guard attacks and parlaying him into turtle stand-ups like he's a Diaz brother Um and uh and yeah, it's just a crazy war and Akiyama, you know, may be able to squeeze out another another split decision It looks like it's gonna go the distance somehow and Lieben just snatches up a triangle And it's just, it's just insane. It's just classic Chris Lieben looking like an insane madman. He calls out Vanderlei Silva, which is a fight that that would happen later. And if you go watch Fight Pass, like you watch Lieben leaving, it's like, it reminds me of that Chris Barnett where he's chugging the beers. It's like such a classic moment. And Chris Lieben, there's no music playing. And he's still singing the music that he came out to, which was the Red Hot Chili Peppers. My love is like, uh, my life is like a roller coaster baby and he's literally singing that as he's walking out he's just on a crazy high go watch it just for that end of chris lieben singing to himself leaving the cage it is chris lieben personified do you remember this fight bill anything to say on this one
1: i do remember it and this is the first sort of overlap we've had because this is on my honorable mentions but, but i'm glad it was on your list instead of mine because you had the personal touch to add to it with the neil melanson detail which is a really cool story um and yeah i i know a lot of fighters who have been like that who were more into the cosmetic training as you put it but yeah this was an amazing fight and it seems like in a second round akiyama was getting the better of chris lieben on on the feet which yeah is not the way to beat Chris Lieben. And I think Akiyama kind of made that realization. Because even though he was giving him fits on the ground. He's like I, I'm hitting this guy with everything. And sometimes Lieben would get this kind of dazed look. When he got hit. And then it was almost like he turned into this this zombie. Or this otherworldly creature. And he would just be on autopilot. <laughs> and continue fighting. And it, he was kind of in that state. And he was like kind of in that flow state. So Akiyama's like, fuck, I can't knock him out. Let me put him on the ground. And then, it, you know, Lieben finishes the fight in the most Chris Lieben way possible, but the most least likely scenario. Like, the come from behind Chris Lieben win yep. was kind of the story of his yes. career. But a win submitting someone off of his back, that's like, who would have, like, if that was a prop bet back then? Like if you could bet specifically, oh Chris Lieben by trying. Oh my God! Anything, I wonder what that number was. Back.
0: Holy crap!
1: If you could put odds on that, plus a hundred thousand.
0: Oh. <laughs> oh, I guarantee you, it would have been anywhere from plus twenty six hundred to plus thirty three hundred just by the substrate. Like yeah. just something stupid like that because he was underdog, not his, yeah, against Akiyama who had the ground advantage. Just just insane, insane. The the peak of this guy's career for sure. And, uh, you know, Akiyama, win or lose, he put on some fun fights in the UFC, say what you will. so.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He put on some really fun fights. I mean, the Alan Belcher fight that you mentioned, um, yeah, for sure.
0: I'm going mean, to do an edit of it, by the way, but uh, I, I, they, they ruined. It's one of my favorite walkouts is Alan Belcher versus Akiyama because you have Alan Belcher walking out to Bob Dylan's Hurricane, which is super underrated. And then you have Akiyama doing his time to say goodbye thing, but it's great because it's in a Western audience. And I'm gonna I'm gonna redo it, but it's great because you see the contract, especially if I do the edit it where you edit over the uh, the new metal on Fight Pass. But you see Akiyama doing his hand holding thing in the gi, and it's like time to say goodbye. It's like this really emotional song, and it's peak, dude bro just bleed crowd, right? So you look yeah. at the contrast of the crowd, like you see how insecure all the dudes are. Like they don't know what to do with the song playing and men holding hands. So they just start like looking at the camera uncomfortably and flexing like, yeah, yeah. And it totally opposites the contrast of like this Japanese MMA, stoic, emotional warrior saying goodbye. And it's with the backdrop of just... MMA, Coors lap beer dude, bro. Like, it is the two most MMA energies, but also the two most opposite MMA energies, and it's in one picture. It's beautiful, if that makes sense. It's
1: awesome. <laughs> Sounds great.
0: Yeah, let's continue. Number number three for Billy.
1: Okay. Um, so this one is nothing original, but I had to include it. Again, I kind of like... I always have like a special thing for fights when I can remember exactly where I was watching them sure. and like what was going on in my life at the time. Uh, for this one, I was on vacation in the Adirondacks, which was is upstate New York, um, pretty remote, like up in the mountains. And I was yeah. freaking out about how I was going to be able to watch this pay-per-view. It was UFC 117. Woo! And, uh yeah i i had to watch it so i wound up being able to order it wherever i was staying some uh cabin or something at uh, a relative of actually my ex-wife um and we w- wound up being able to order the pay-per-view and i remember just being on the edge of my seat the entire fight for anderson silva and shale Sonnen, the first meeting And a lot of people remember this fight as, well, Chael held him down for four and a half rounds and then Anderson pulls a triangle out of his ass. But what a lot of people don't remember is Chael in the first round puts Anderson on his ass with a punch and lays him out. And that was kind of what started the avalanche to where he was able to control him. Anderson was kind of out of it from that point. Uh, And I really don't think people give Chael Sonnen enough credit you know a lot of people remember him like oh he was he was just a wrestler he was just like he would just lay on people um and you know also being remembered for when he would get to the big fights he would get caught in a submission and he would talk about that later on how he would kind of like visualize himself getting submitted like especially in triangles Mm -hmm. and this is relatable to me because coming from wrestling, when I first started doing jiu-jitsu, it's like, man, I was getting triangled by even like the people with the shortest legs in the room because just because of the way you're used to posturing on the ground, you're not used to worrying about it. Uh, you know, where you're putting your head, you're just trying to hold somebody down. You're not used to somebody trying to strangle you with their legs. So this was relatable for me and I was on the edge of my seat because like we talked about earlier, Anderson Silva had this aura man it's like who's gonna beat this guy and not only did Chael come close but he put him down with a strike you know here's this guy who oh he's just a wrestler lays him out with a punch um and Chael always throughout his career had very clean boxing Yep. I think he really Mm -hmm. doesn't get enough credit for that um so I'll say it again um and then you know held him down just beat him pillar to post until the very last second when Anderson Silva, you know, throws up that triangle and, you know, a segue from your last pick, it it was like the last stitch triangle, you know, the Hail Mary, and, you know, you could argue the fact that Chael let himself be put into it because of that, you yeah. know, self-fulfilling prophecy he kind of put himself into by visualizing it. Um, he, and, you know, he was that close to becoming a world champion, but... Um, it it would set the stage for the rematch and like some of Chael's best trash talk, the Anderson Silva, you absolutely suck.
0: Sure, um, sure.
1: You know, came from that and Chael being interviewed and saying, Oh, I thought like if I tapped out, that meant he won that round. Yeah, yeah. People not knowing how to deal with Chael's deadpan sarcasm. Um, so that fight would set the stage for a lot of that, which, um, you know i was a big fan of as as right. much as i like to say now if you listen to my podcast i'm always talking about how like oh all the antics these guys do it's just noise to me um i was a total mark for for Chael sonnen's gimmick because i loved the fact that people didn't get it and would get so riled up by it yeah sure. it seriously um i thought it was fantastic and Nobody's been able to completely duplicate it. I mean, some people have tried, like Colby Covington has kind of, you know, stumbled his way through trying to be uh, a replica of Chael, but um, nobody will ever be able to duplicate it. And I feel like a lot of that character was developed in this fight. So uh, I I agree. That's why this one made, made my list. A lot of people would make their list because Anderson Silva got the upset. For me, it was you know, the the development of, of Chael's kind of character that, that really made this memorable.
0: Absolutely. 2009 to 2010, we get some great MMA. This falls right in there. It happens on August 7th, 2010, on my birthday. So, of course, this fight's extra special to me. You always remember the birthday fights. And I'm like, I'm yeah. getting this fight on my birthday. I'm glad you mentioned it, Bill, because it probably would have been my number one or two to probably be my number two on my MMA junkie version of this list. But Mm -hmm. I put it on so many number ones slash so many lists just because like, I did my Anderson Silva list. It's my number one there. It's my favorite fight because it happens on my birthday. It's a comeback. And more reasons than that, than the comeback, than the birthday, than this or that. You're right, Chael Sonnen, just like Randy Couture, the they, they, wrestlers, Team Quest guys, but both Sonnen and Couture had underrated boxing because they worked on their boxing, not just during their MMA, like both Randy and Chael actually did boxing competitions before they ever fought MMA, which people don't realize, mm-hmm. like Randy did it in yep. the military, Chael actually did some Golden Glove stuff. And Chael is a Southpaw, if you're a Southpaw and have boxing fundamentals, that'll take you very far. And Southpaws hate facing other Southpaws. And what do I say? I said it with the Grasso shevchenko fight, when people were breaking down those exchanges, trying to say, oh, well, what's better punch, the left or the Czech hook? I'm like, no, they're both great punches. But when you are in a Southpaw versus Southpaw matchup, both those punches, particularly the left cross lane, is super. Stupid potent. You will throw it, and you will have it thrown on you. It'll feel like the mm-hmm. first time you've ever thrown a cross before because you feel so dumb throwing it in that stance pairing. And defensively, it'll be like the first time you've ever seen that cross coming at you before because you will feel so dumb defensively in that stance pairing. And not taking anything away from Chale's underrated boxing, but you couple that with his underrated boxing. And he's actually knocking True. down Anderson multiple times. Uh, very underrated uh, trash talk. One of my favorite promos is uh, leading up to that, actually, is he goes... I acknowledge that Anderson is a great fighter, but I am the best. And I love that line. It is such, they use it for a promo, underrated. One of the best. Yeah. I put him over Connor, over Colby easily. Give me, give me Chael for that, especially in this era. Um, Anything else to say on this one before we jump to number three? I would say in any era, but yeah. In any era, yes. No, go ahead. Uh number three we're gonna to try to speed this one up i want to get get bill out of here on time but i ended up going with a kind of a typical one here but it's it's good it's kind of like a two-way tie it's like okay so robert whittaker versus ul romero 2 will probably end up on this list because number three spot um because it's just a crazy fight now it's weird because story-wise i actually like the story of number one better but if we're talking about rematch it might end up on like you know, top five rematch fights as well. It's such a crazy rematch. It goes back and forth. Maybe the lack of a finish might ruin it for some. Maybe the scoring might ruin it for some, though I would argue that Whitaker does do enough to earn back his nine in what could be a 10-8 round in round three, and mm-hmm. you can still argue, if there is an argument for a 10-8, I think that argument should come in round five, but UL Romero does not do himself any credit by letting off the gas for the last of the round as UL Romero does. However, as my shirt would, re- would, 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 would 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 tell you, Alex Poiton Beta versus Israel Adesanya 1 is probably, if I'm being honest with me, even though I try to steer away from recency bias, this is kind of a closer fight to when we were recording this, even though it was mm-hmm. over a year ago, but that fight has the 5th round finish, um, it has the history, we got some weird grappling going back and forth. Um, some round swings, and just one of the greatest just, and I know I would pick Poetan, and I did bet him, so that definitely helped, but I'm a big Poetan fan. I'm not an Izzy hater. I'm just a big Poetan fan, and seeing him get that round five finish, you know, Poetan, remember himself screaming, hearing Anik's call. You know, we had a very classic boxing call. Down goes Adesanya. Da- or you yeah. down goes the champion. We get, we get that moment in MMA right there, thanks to Anik. Um, and it's so perfect. I know it's a standing stoppage, but we could really use more of those. We could really use more towel throws, which maybe we'll talk about in a future selection of mine. But, uh, yeah, I'm going... uh, I'm sorry for the kind of a cheating two-way tie here, but telling you, you'll probably see Whitaker Romero 2 on this list as far as the Junkie Top 5 list goes, but personally, my number 3 is pajeda Adesanya 1. Anything on either of those? Sorry if I sunk some battleships.
1: No, no, no. You didn't, actually. Those are both great fights, and... Just a little anecdote on the Perea fight. I won money on that fight because I prop bet Perea by fifth round knockout. What? Yeah, and I'm not the gambling guy. Oof. I'll always say yeah, sure. anytime I say on my show That's like cool. if you want gambling advice, you go see Dan Tom. Don't come to me. I and I don't have a lot of gambling stories. I don't bet on a lot of fights. So right. I I probably told you this. I I put like two hundred bucks on a bookie site. I don't know four years ago and i've gone up and down with it right. uh, you know i've gone up to i don't know maybe 500 bucks in there and i've gone as low as 50 bucks i think there's like 100 dollars or so left in there but that's the extent of my gambling with mma i just do it to kind of play around but that bet was my biggest win ever um i think it was like a couple hundred bucks that won off of that one Oh my um, gosh! I bet. Yeah. I don't have a lot insane. of gambling stories, but that's one of them, and it has to do with that fight. That's awesome. Um, let's see. Okay. Number segue two. here. I have one of the same fighters. All right. Involved in your pick, um, and that's Adesanya. All right. So this one for me. This was. It was an interesting one for me to put on this list because. A lot of my other picks, I had like real emotional connections to the fights because of where I was and Mm -hmm. time in my life and things like that. This one, I didn't. This one, I just thought was an awesome fight or a really fun fight. And that was Kelvin Gastelum and Mm -hmm. Israel Adesanya, UFC 236. Perfect. Um, I was watching the fight in my backyard. It was the first time I had ever set up a projector screen in my yard. I ordered the pay-per-view, had a bunch of buddies over. Um, My buddy... Steamroller of Frivola was fighting on the prelims against Jalen Turner and he comes up with a win there so we're all on this high we're having drinks we're ready to watch the main card um and man just gasoline Adesanya I did not have a dog in this race I was not particularly a fan of either of them I wouldn't say I root against either of them either but this fight man I was on the edge of my seat the whole time and I feel like that's why it's worthy to make my list because I didn't have any kind of emotional investment in this fight and it still drew me in with the storytelling of the fight, the way they both had each other rocked. They were both almost finished at one point. Gastelum was supposed to get blown out of the water. He shouldn't have been in there with Adesanya. But Kelvin Gaslin, throughout his career, when he's put in those situations, that's when he shines, man. It's like Chael Sonnen said about him on The Ultimate Fighter, Kelvin, I don't know what you're good at. And then a few weeks later, comes back to him, I figured out what you're good at, Kelvin. You're good at winning fights. And he's just like that consummate underdog. Um, and that came out in him. I mean, some kind of dog came out in him in this fight. And... It it was just such a fun fight to watch and um you know, not the same emotional connection for me as some of the other fights on my list, but um you know, just a great MMA performance that I would probably show to somebody if they wanted to see like what should MMA look like, I would probably reference one of that fight as one of them. That's
0: perfect. I couldn't say it better myself. It's the same thing. There's no emotional thing, no crazy story. It was just a great fight, and it also ended up in my number two slot exactly for that reason. So, what a perfect uh, two for one deal here for the sake of time. But yeah, I, I really can't add anything more to it. Of course, you also the only thing I will add is you get that sweet moment going into round five as well, where you have Adesanya talking to my, himself. He's like, "I'm ready to die for this, this, and that." And uh, that was just a classic, man. And if you're a Kelvin Gaslam fan, if you bet on Kelvin Gaslam, uh, you couldn't even be any more prouder of your fighter in a loss there, right? Um, that yeah. was one of his pinnacles, even though it was a defeat. So nothing to hang his head about. That's also my number two, UFC 236, April 13th, 2019. All right.
1: Yeah, man. Kelvin Holy. Gaslam's just like the, the goofy younger brother that's like always fucking up, but you love him. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. it's like, oh come on, man, you missed weight again. Oh, but then you put on this great fight. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Now uh, for the sake of time here, let's let's go to number one. Let's do a Chinese fire drill. Uh, I'll I'll lead us off since since you so you sunk my battleship and we both got to do our number two at the same time. Um, okay. I'll do my number one. Maybe it's the same one, maybe it's different. If it is, it's it's pretty obscure. But this one um this one I remember being all over the internet once it happened back in 2010 again um, it's not not but a not but a, a week or two after after Chael Son and Anderson Silva right like this is crazy we're just hey, we're getting insane MMA right and we get one of the best rematches between their first fight will actually resemble Anderson Silva Chael Son in one right and th- th- then they get the rematch about two weeks after and that's George Santiago versus Kazuo Masaki 2 At Sengoku 14. You might recognize George Santiago in all the American Top Team corners. He's one of the main Jiu-Jitsu coaches. But him, like Conan Silveria, like Mike Brown, like many of their great coaches, were great fighters in their time before then. And uh, you see George Santiago, the bald Brazilian guy with the uh, with the, the Arnett looking sunglasses, with the mm-hmm. with the, with all the trophies in Japan. That was his M.O. He was on quite a run. Whereas Masaki, not only did he lose to Santiago in a fight, he was winning and gets fifth round submitted right in their first fight, very Anderson Silva chale like. But they get a rematch, and Masaki's coming off this rematch off a loss. Granted, it was maybe a different. Actually, no, it might have been still at middleweight because it was Melvin Manhoff who was fighting at middleweight at the time. But it really didn't matter. I mean, Kazuo Masaki was a really underrated guy. Speaking of pride, right? This guy was a pride welterweight champion, which meant 185 champion, middleweight champion everywhere else, right? So this was a former pride welterweight champion. You had George Santiago, who I believe uh, had a cup of coffee. Uh, fighting for with the strike, one of the earlier iterations of the strike force belt. Correct me if I'm not, but he is the defending Sengoku champion. Of course, you know, uh, after Pride dissolves, Sengoku is one of those, uh, you know, like Dream. So, you know, it's one of those uh, Asian Japanese promotions that's trying to trying to you know uh, take the mantle. They're still doing you know uh, ground soccer kicks, fights in the ring. Very similar mm-hmm. to, to to Pride at this time for those folks. Um, and they have a rematch. Of course, Masaki, also known as the Grabaka Hitman. Shout out to Kapoza. If you're wondering where the history of that name, he came from the Grabaka Hitman Gym. Though at this time of this fight, he was actually unaffiliated. He moved away from the Grabaka Hitman Gym at this time. Uh, that is Kazuo Masaki. Very underrated fighter. Improved his wrestling and grappling for this fight because he got Submitted, but he kind of could do it all. He would work the one of the first fighters, really. You know, you just see him regularly working the body. Has a really underrated fight with Paul Daly where he finally drops to. 170 pounds in strike force at the tail end of his career. It was the last fight of his career. He should have been there the whole time. So he was this really undersized cat. Comes out wearing the black vest. It's just a crazy fight, honestly. Back and forth, they're dropping each other. It's an insane striking match. Then it goes to an insane grappling chess match where they're almost finishing each other. You got Michael Shivello on the commentary going, Can he find it? Can he find it? Can he find it? Can he find it? And you know, and like Frank Trigg's trying to talk you through the information. Go, no, he doesn't have the choke here. I don't think he has. Can he find it? No, I don't think he has. Can he find it? It's it's, it's great. It is insane. Like, even Shabella and Trigg, who've called fights in pride and everywhere, they're like, this is the most insane fight. This is the most insane round. They literally give it the most insane everything they award it, which Mm -hmm. coming from those men say something. If you have not watched this fight, Please go back and watch George Santiago versus Kazuo Masaki 2. It is amazing.
1: That's my number one. Damn, I wish we didn't switch places now because you had, like, a history lesson there and recap the fight, impressions of the broadcasters. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Like, I feel like my number one is going to fall so no, short no. in comparison here. Uh, that was awesome. Uh I I forgot about that one, to be honest with you. So, I guess I'm still going to be up late watching fights uh, because of this episode. Do it. Do it. uh, Because I'm definitely going to go back and give that one another look. My number one is pretty straightforward. And it comes down to the finish again. Um, We're we're coming full circle here. Um, You know, time and place where I was in my life, this was a good time. It was like, The peak of like me really enjoying MMA and getting into the storytelling, still pre podcast, uh, by a long shot, actually. Um, but I was still really into it. I was like kind of the guy in my friend group that people would ask, like, hey, what's the next fight coming up? Um, and it it was kind of cool to to be in that position, uh, which you know, obviously I find myself in now because everybody at the gym knows I do the podcast and, follow along on social media or whatever I'm kind of like the the reference for people um in any case this was just the build-up to the fight and the way it ended was the perfect storm it was UFC 100 Dan Henderson Michael Bisping nice um just you know there was all the trash talk from Bisping leading up to it and Dan Henderson just kind of having that Dan Henderson smirk uh and and just knowing what he was going to do to him it it's it's almost like it was it was scripted to happen on that night UFC 100, 100 was such a huge event it was like one of the first really big kind of landmark events that they did um and I remember where I was watching it back in my hometown in New York and Just the finish, and I remember ordering the pay-per-view, rewinding it over and over, the punch and then the flying forearm that became Dan Henderson's logo at 40-something years old, whatever he was at the time. Um, The guy is just such a legend. And I I had a bunch of his fights come up. I mean, obviously, he, he had a lot of epic fights at 205 as well, but when he did fight at 185... Um, you know the guy was just a wrecking machine everywhere he went um, and it it's not like you didn't know what he was gonna do he didn't have any tricks or secrets it was the right hand and that's all he needed um, and that was all he needed that night and like I said it was just the perfect storm just I remember everything leading up to it and that knowing smile of Dan Henderson like I know what I'm gonna do to you and you know, he turned that smirk into one of the most epic finishes, in my opinion, in the history of the sport. I mean, just probably the cleanest overhand right ever, and then the flying forearm was the icing on the cake. Um, it it was just it, it was just awesome. So when I was kind of like shuffling things around, and I have my list here with things crossed out and numbers and moving everything. I'm like, all right, which one of these got the biggest emotional reaction from me? And I remember like jumping off the couch when when this happened and rewinding the fight, you know, back in the DVR days when you could still rewind a pay-per-view without worrying about ESPN Plus losing your feed. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> it's like uh, talking about the websites earlier, it's almost like yeah. the technology was better back then. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah. Oh my goodness. But, yeah, man, that's my number one. That's a great that's one. That's uh, rounding it out for
0: me. Dude, that's a great one. I don't know how why this m- d- skipped my list. I know, you know, a, 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 as a fight of totality, but, like, yeah, you want to talk about reaction. Henderson was my guy coming over from Pride. If we did top five light heavyweight fights, my number one would be him knocking out Vanderlei Silva, right? Um, and y- y- if you were following from then, you know, you were stoked. He came up short against Anderson. He has the weird fight against, like, Husamar U- U- Palhares. You know, he came up short against Rampage, of course, when he first came. and win or lose a lot of these were going you know decision Dan's so this is Dan Henderson going back to his knockout form for those hardcore fans who follow him from Japan it was a big payoff there regardless if you were following Ultimate Fighter regardless if you hated Bisping it was huge and he comes out to take Fringe Red Rider a Vision Quest Holy shit! That just—I cla- wish he didn't stop coming out to that. That was just perfect, Dan Henderson doing the saddle thing where he jumps and slaps his slaps his thighs when he gets in the ring. Like, oh, yeah. I loved—I love me some Dan Henderson,
1: man. One of my favorite fighters ever. Um, great, great. If, if not my favorite. Uh, great. You know, whenever I try to to think about my favorite fighters ever, Dan Henderson's always the first one that comes to mind. That fight with Vanderlei, like you mentioned. Yep. Classic. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Dan Dan Henderson, B, BJ Penn and Randy Couture are probably like some of my all-time top 3 fighters just because they just defied the weight classes, you know? Like they they were all undersized dudes. They were all undersized dudes just scrapping with anybody.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I I would I would put Jens Pulver at the top of mine. He was actually nice. the guy that got me into MMA nice. because as a love, love as label. a smaller wrestler, I'm like, man, this guy's a wrestler and he's knocking people dead like this is what I, I want to do. That absolutely, um, and, and like you said, undersized guy too. I mean, he fought at fifty-five in the beginning. He was the first fifty-five pound champion, but that was only because there was nothing else. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't have a choice.
0: Yep, yeah. He he was the bantamweight back to the early things. So uh, you'll see him actually fighting for a bantamweight title against Kau Uno. You know, even mm-hmm. though the, it was for one hundred and fifty-five pounds, so he was amidst that era as well. Um, yeah. But I want to get Bill out of here on time, so we just got. Uh, three uh, three listener lists. If you want to comment on those, and then we'll get you out on the honorable mentions. If, if, you, if, you, if that's cool, Bill, let's do it. All right. First, my guy, of course, friend of the show, Fenyo at Fenyo X Sky. Follow him. Support his stuff at the Fight Dash Site uh, I, I don't know what order it is, but he's got Whitaker Romero one. I love that he put one on there. Uh, Fenyo, I didn't know we we're the same in that in that regard. We, you you all, you also like number one better than number two. You know, which is ultimately what made me bump. Number two from the list because in, 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 instead for you know, Pajeta, Adasanya for me, because mm-hmm. it's just like, I, I, how can I put that on there if I say that I like number one better and yada yada? He has Wideman, Machida, We've talked about this one before. That's a very underrated fight. Kugly sure. vs. Scott Smith won. Fenyo, you're a man of my heart. You, you know my my, my style. Um, Fenyo likes Chris Weidman versus Rockle. That was a brutal one. That was a brutal mm-hmm. one. Uh, Adasanya versus Pajeta won. All right. I don't feel crazy there. A nice, solid list, Fenyo. Uh, my guy Ghost, of course, another analyst I respect. Uh, there, he goes, very obscure that no one remembers. But Akiyama versus Belcher, of course, you know I remember that one. But yes, that yeah. was a great. That's a great shout. We talked about that one. Um, and then, lastly but not least, my guy James Kendrick. Shout out to James Kendrick, who's usually in the in the chat. Of course, we're not live today. Otherwise, I'd see you guys here. Uh, he has uh, got some weird ones for you, Dan. Akiyama versus Lieben, not too weird. Ended up on my list. Um, yep. Lawler versus Manhoff. I forgot that was a 185 fight. Yeah, that was. Yep, Lawler versus Manhoff. That's an underrated one. I just mm-hmm. recently watched that brutal finish, too. I love that finish on that fight. And he doesn't say which one, but he's got Romero versus Whitaker. Again, you, you can't go wrong with either one there. Any sure. honor, Any honorable mentions? Any comments on those before you get out of there, Bill? Out of here, Bill.
1: Yes, both. Uh, Robbie Lawler and Melvin Manhoff was my number one honorable mention. I, nice. I had it on my list at it's one point. One just such a crazy fight i mean melvin was kicking robbie lawler's leg yeah. into the third row uh and then robbie comes out of nowhere with the knockout punch knocks him dead i mean i love a good comeback i know you do as well yep. um so yeah that one damn near made my list that was strike force miami i think yes it was, that it was. was yep. the name of the good memory was, i think that was the only name of the <laughs> yeah yep I have uh I I have the the events for pretty much all of these. I was, I was like, man, I'm going on Dan Tom show. I got to do some oh, research here. I, I got to have my you, information in order. Um, another one for me was uh, Chris Lieben and Akiyama, which we already talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, another Dan Henderson one. Dan Henderson and Hector Lombard. Um, oh yeah, that was just a crazy that fight. Crazy. Dan Henderson finishing it with a head kick. Um, Same. and that one was the only fight in dan henderson's career according to him that was a personal vendetta he really wanted to beat the shit out of hector lombard because hector had trained at his gym for a little bit and i guess was an asshole to some of his guys so like as a coach i can kind of like emotionally connect with that one and dan henderson's not a guy who who lets emotions get in there so the fact that they did for him and the only time that they did he was still able to get a highlight reel knockout awesome um I had Anderson Silva, Vitor Belfort on here, um, for the finish. You know, it was it, it was just so unique. Uh, and then one other one that is a is just a finish that lives rent free in my head is Chris Lieben and Terry Martin.
0: Oh, that's a great one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So Terry Martin, Martin. was like this stocky middleweight. Didn't look like a fighter, but looked like he could fight, um, knocked Chris Lieben unconscious on his feet. Yes. Chris Lieben goes into this mode, like I said before, his eyes are gone. He's not conscious, but he marches forward with his eyes hazed over, something like Night of the Living Dead, and starches Terry Martin and puts him out unconscious. And that that one
0: That's a great that's that that lives in my head too.
1: I, I can't remember where I was when I watched it I I know I watched it live and for that reason I didn't include it on my list but man I think about that one often especially anytime somebody brings up Chris Lieben I think of that clip
0: oh it's classic um, it, 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 but it, yeah. you, you know what I also you know I associate that one with as well and it's another it's Different fighters, different ending, but it's similar theme, same time period, and another name I've not heard that name in a long, long time. Drew McFed, Drew McFedries versus Martin Campman. Oh yeah, was that the one where I believe yeah. where Drew McFedries bashes Martin Campman up, and then Martin Campman gets to come back, he gets takes him down, head and arm chokes him. Yep, it yep. shows his technical kind of repertoire.
1: Drew McFedries could crack, man. Right. Remember that, that name,
0: Jesus. Yeah. Uh, any other honorable mentions? I, 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 I cut you off there.
1: Uh, the only other one is because of the circumstances where I was and just how unbelievable it was was Chris Weidman and Anderson Silva won. Sure. Um it, it it was like, you know, nobody gave Chris Weidman a chance in that one, I don't think. Right. Um th- that was one of the biggest upsets ever and I, like in hindsight, I don't think people give it that credit that they give to like Matt Serra over GSP, but To me, it was like almost equivalent. Like nobody thought he was going to beat Anderson Silva, and if they did, they thought he would hold him down. And we knew that, you know, he had ways out of that. Nobody would have thought he would have knocked him out.
0: Absolutely, that that's one that's just that one's got to be burning your head, you know, especially watching live at that at that time.
1: (sighs) Yeah, and I was watching with a bunch of people who um, weren't really educated on MMA but they knew Anderson Silva and right. they, that I had friends at that time who would only want to watch when Anderson Silva was fighting and they were like who's this guy tell us a little about him I'm like oh he's you know all-american wrestler he wrestled a hostra and like he's you know he, he's really good well I don't think he has a chance against this guy I like it. <laughs> I mean whatever Weidman was 10 and 0 at the time or whatever like I don't think he he has that enough experience mm-hmm. and then it's like damn got to eat my words on that one. Uh. Absolutely. Uh I only have one honorable mention then we'll get you out of here. I know you got
0: I know you got a roll bill. Um this one was was mentioned a uh, a lot on, on lists when I did it earlier thing for your favorite middleweight fights. But Rich Franklin versus David Loazzo at UFC 58 USA versus Ooh. Canada card that also had a yeah. BJ Penn versus George St. Pierre one uh back in 06. I went back to watch it. It was, it was it was a good fight but not good enough to make the list. Although I will tweet something out that happens in round 4, I believe at 1 minute and 51 seconds. I watched this like weeks ago and I still remember that timestamp. Uh, I'm gonna tweet it out, but Rogan goes, uh he does one of those slips where he goes, I can't believe they're 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 you know, talking about Rich Franklin, you know, he's one of the first guys. Well, this guy's a teacher. These are well-rounded athletes, these aren't just mindless yeah. brawlers. Like they're in that they're in that talking point phase. And then Rogan's like, Yeah, but if only they got paid like professional athletes for what they give. And Goldie's like, Yep. And this is on a UFC broadcast, right? Back then. And then you, you, you hear Rogan kinda like go to correct himself, he goes, but don't worry folks because I'm sure in a couple years from now, these guys I guarantee you will be making as much as other professional athletes in other sports. Watch, just a couple years from now. And I'm like, that was almost 20 years ago.
1: Yeah. It never yeah. happened.
0: Only now we're going to court for monopolation. Like, it never happened. The money never came. Newsflash. The money never came, guys. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go clip that out because that's a hilarious fucking, it ages very well.
1: Yeah, I mean we could do a whole a whole yeah. other hour and a half on yeah. that. Um but I loved what I loved about going back and watching these fights were were the Rogan and Goldie calls. Sure, yeah. It's and great. I I know I know uh you know Goldberg gets he gets a lot of shit from the hardcore sure, fans. Sure, sure. But you know like I always, I always maintain he was playing it up and like sure, kind of asking dumb questions on purpose mm-hmm. to kind of like get the conversation going. Like I, I agree, I'll always give him the benefit of the doubt. And I, I thought he contributed so much to the sport and his calls on some of these fights that were on this list and, and otherwise are are just awesome and really made the moment too
0: absolutely i i say the same thing you know he he he. It, it comes with the territory of that role that's very underrated and goldie did that very well and you know say what you will the nostalgia was great i mean say what you will mm-hmm. about rogan he was way better back in the day too so like listening to his calls when he was more invested in stuff mm-hmm. and uh you know was more that pros pros to joe's kind of voice like it's great stuff man it really was peak rogan and goldie for sure all right, Bill, I want to get you out of here. Uh, anything you want to plug on the way out? I appreciate your time, man. This this was fun. I'm glad to finally have you back on, and we're going to be talking and hanging more. But anything you want to plug for now?
1: Hell yeah, man. Uh, I appreciate you asking me to do this. Like I said, I was so excited going back and watching these old fights and, and thinking about these memories. It's it's like kind of reignited a lot of things for me, especially like thinking about that trip to Japan, which just showed up on my Facebook memories that was oh, wow. almost eight years ago to the day yeah I was so gonna say, it September. was almost yeah it was almost like fate that we were we were supposed to to talk about this and um you know i'm glad i made the decision to make my list like a little more personal instead of trying to like these are the greatest like i would not say these are the greatest middleweight fights but for me and my experience and my journey throughout being a fan of mma these are the five that that resonate with me and like I, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot more, and I, I love the suggestions that the listeners gave as well. Um, I was definitely on the same page with a, with a few of those, like Akiyama and, and Alan Belcher and uh, Lawler and, and uh, I I thought there might have been more overlap between you and I until I kind of skewed and tried to make it like, all right, this is like Bill's personal journey. And then nice. I was like, I think we'll avoid the, the overlap if I do it this way. Um, and, and it worked out perfect. Um, so, yeah. yeah, this was a lot of fun. It's uh, I'm at MMA on the Rocks everywhere, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or X, sorry. Uh, I'm on TikTok now. I caved in and, and got a TikTok. So I'm on there. I, I do some MMA training videos. I do some whiskey reviews. And uh, post clips of the podcast on there, and then the podcast is MMA on the Rocks everywhere—YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, all all that stuff. Um, and then, if anybody's ever in the Tampa area, I'm I'm a trainer at MJM uh, MJM Clearwater. We're a City of Tong Gym under Mark Delagrati. We're the only City of Tong Gym in Florida. Um, I specialize in clinch training. i the I'm the clinch instructor there. Uh, so if you ever want to get some traditional Thai clinch training, um, you know, come on in, sign a waiver, and and come take a class. We we welcome in everybody. We have open mats every Saturday, um, and yeah, we have a very open door policy. So uh, I, I don't worry about hiding my location from anybody. You know, I'm always uh welcome people who love mixed martial arts and uh, talking with them and training with them and whatever else, having a drink with them. All right, well, I'm gonna take you up on the
0: the, the, the tie clinch training for sure, man, and come down there and train with you. But please keep up those videos. Please follow Bill; it's awesome stuff. Uh, I'm I've been doing less drinking and trying to do less drinking, so that that's good for me, I guess. But uh, I still want to live vicariously uh, through Bill here, so I enjoy that. Obviously, I enjoy the technique stuff as well. I got to imagine that's gonna be high on your guys' radar. Give him a follow at MMA on the Rocks. Me at Dan Tom MMA, of course. The mixed martial or the. Uh, oh. The Mixed Martial Analyst. Wow, Dan, you forget your show intros, you forget your website, you forget your hosting. <laughs> uh, that's what hosts this year' program, the Protect your Neck podcast, you you find at the PYM podcast on all social platforms. Five-star ratings and reviews. Give us a like, a thumbs up, please. Appreciate the uh, all the engagement. It helps. Positive is better, but all engagement helps if you, if you want to be shitty about it. You're still helping, I guess. But, you know, why not keep it positive? Appreciate you guys. Positive ratings and reviews. The support of the show. Until next time, uh, enjoy uh, your life. Try not to get too caught up in this relentless schedule. Make time to go back and visit the history if you really love MMA. Or just do things that make you happy. How about that? But whatever you do, always protect your neck.